0: Hello, everyone. Tim K. here, founder of the Veterans Project and the Caregiver Project. And I'm here to discuss a friend of ours, the Mississippi coffee lady. Now, you might have heard of her before. I'm constantly getting the question of, how can I help the projects? That's a fair question. And I'm always very open with how you can do just that. But what if I told you that you can support the projects and get your caffeine fix in while doing just that? That's right. The Mississippi Coffee Lady is here to help. Founded by the wife of a Marine Corps officer, the Mississippi Coffee Lady is bringing you a bold and bright Ethiopian roast in honor of our legacies. Each bag, every single bag purchased goes straight to the project. Every single dollar, dime and penny to the project's. Head over to www.mississippicoffeelady.com to help support the project and pick up a bag of her exclusive Ethiopian roast today. Every bag, every bean supports our stories. We're all just becoming amalgamations of our self-help books and motivational posters. I think you should pause and think about that quote for a second, a Simple yet profound quote on existence from a man who found the true value and meaning of looking inward. The quintessential quick fix culture is one that at best designs adversity to create some sense of struggle, or at its worst simply flees from it. And you'll hear Micah talk about that a lot in this podcast. He's here to combat that ideology. Adversity has long been intertwined with Micah's path, and through the course of that odyssey, Fink would tell you that some of his most visceral, painful experiences have led to his greatest moments of growth. Why is it then that we run from that idea? We see countless examples of those who've experienced the most extensive adversities going on to become the most successful entrepreneurs, nonprofit presidents, Philanthropists, corporate leaders, etc., etc., the list goes on. Yet the windstream of society continues to placate us with ideas of comfort and relaxation. Is this a technique forged by some elite carnal structure to create a somambulant society? Possibly. And Micah might or might not make that argument. Regardless, his success as both an elite member of our nation's Navy SEALs and as the founder of his nonprofit, Heroes and Horses, is hard to argue with. Spend two minutes, even two minutes with Fink and you undoubtedly wish for two hours. The realization quickly sets in that you're in the presence of a master storyteller of the olden days, a veritable renaissance man, and his impeccable ability to weave a thematic series of ethical elements into every tale. Micah lives there, impassioned by his own pursuit of truth and teaching others to help themselves. Heroes and Horses is not for the faint of heart. i will say that right off the top nor those looking for a quick fix. It isn't that either. It is a program built on action over awareness. It seeks out adverse conditions through the natural selection of the program. For those of you out there listening, if you know me even a little bit, you know how often I speak about the value at this point in time of action over awareness. Folks, I think we are past the awareness stage. I think that if you haven't been living under a rock for the past five years, you've Probably heard about the 22 veterans a day taking their own lives. What are we doing to create inroads to actually help deliver our community from this pestilence, this black cloud that's hanging over our community? Micah continues to beg the question throughout the interview where are the veteran leaders? I think you should be hitting the whole pause button when he gets to that point if you're a veteran. This can be a moment of self reflection. Am I that leader? Are you that leader? Am I the one sitting here in a constant practice of self-pity? What can I do to help others? How can I help create change? We owe that to our community to ask that question. We owe it to ourselves to ask that question. Hell, we owe it to the greatest generation to ask that question. Those men that broke their backs bending over backwards to maintain the blood wall that protects our constitutional freedom certainly deserve our greatest efforts. Micah Fink is at least doing his part. Action over awareness is what Heroes and Horses is all about. 41 days of mind over matter. 41 days of percussive reality and reflection pool of inward resonance. 41 days of realization and revelation. Mike and his team are simply the conduits, the guides on the spiritual journey of deprogramming the soul. There is no better person to lead the way. I'm fully confident in that. Micah has lived and continues to live the journey. And I've already said enough as usual. Here he is without further ado with a lesson and education on persevering through adversity. Not only that, leaning into your adversity. The one and only Micah Fink.
1: The Veterans Project is a comprehensive essay. Capturing the legacies of our warfighters, caregivers, and civilians who have stepped forward in defense of our patriotic principles in an effort to capture their stories and to never forget the staggering sacrifices of our nation's finest. This is the Veterans Project Podcast, where our legacies are the mission. Here's your host, Tim Kay.
0: Welcome to the Veterans Project Podcast. My name is Tim K. I'm your founder and host. Here with me today, Micah Fink from Heroes and Horses. Micah, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it, man. Awesome to be here. Thanks
2: for the opportunity.
0: Yeah, so, so Micah, you know, as we usually do with these podcasts, we go projects, we go back through the guys' life and talk about where they came from. So, could you start from why you, you know where you were born and kind of what brought you into the military what brought you into that mindset of wanting to join the military
2: yeah uh sorry i knocked the fucking headphones off because i'm a human (laughs) it was a nice touch human beings make mistakes um yeah i was uh i'm actually uh i'm a real small town kid from uh, upstate new york i grew up in the casco mountains up there and uh come from a long line of ruffians uh my uh my grandfather, uh, was a railroad man. Um, he, you know, served 10 years in federal prison, uh, tied up in the mob and, wow. um, you know, had, uh, six children, one of which was my father and, uh, my father kind of followed in those same footsteps and then ended up, uh, in the seventies, uh, uh, after he got out of prison, he, uh, uh ended up, uh, I guess you would say like finding Jesus mm-hmm. and, uh. And so I grew up, my dad was on the railroad and became a teacher or a preacher in a small town of about 600 people. So wow. Was, yeah. A preacher. Yeah. So I, uh, I grew up like going to all the tent revivals and, um, you know, my dad was a pretty awesome guy. He's a pretty hard human being. Um, as you could imagine, my mom, uh, and you know, worked as a lifeguard and, you know, you could imagine in a town like that, was pretty depressed in the sense, like economically and, uh. You know, the first few years of my life when we lived there, we all lived in the same bedroom and kind of food pantry type life. And, uh, you know, I didn't really recognize those things as a kid. I had a wonderful childhood um, and we traveled all around, you know, the the state, like doing tent revivals and my dad built a church and uh, I ended up uh, leaving home at 16 and uh, I never lived home since. So, you know, some some challenging years of my life, and I ended up, uh, you know, moving back to upstate New York uh, after I left home. I was 21, and pretty much on and off most of my life, I was a telephone pole lineman. So worked for the power company, worked for a line company, so I was a climber. Wow. And uh, and I happened to be on the telephone pole in Queens, New York, when the first plane hit the World Trade Center. So, you wow. know, at the time, I you know, I was a boxer, amateur boxer. I played drums in a ska band, Funk Shop Loomis. <laughs> yeah, I love that name. We were uh, we actually opened up for Long Beach Dub All Star Sublime. Uh, we were a pretty good band, and that's what I was into: fighting and music. I kind of go hand in hand when you're, you know, a hooded sweatshirt wearing street punk from upstate New York. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I grew up in a really, it was really an agricultural town, pretty primarily dairy farms. My first job was working on a dairy farm and, wow. uh, so haying and farming and that kind of stuff's always been in my life. And so I climbed down off that pole and I'll never forget it. I, uh, I saw the smoke coming from the city and my friend called me on next and said, Hey man, like an airplane just at the world trade center. I was like, yeah, I see it. And I came down and I knocked on someone's door. You know, a lady's door, she came there and she was crying. And her husband was a Port Authority police officer. And I walked inside and I remember looking at the TV. And, you know, then the second plane hit. And I looked at my friend who had grown up with my whole life. I was like, yeah, I'm going in the city. Like I thought it was a war. So wow. Uh, I get in my car. I end up making the Cherry Montgomery Street. I get stopped at the tunnel, Lincoln Tunnel. They got all the tactical teams, you know, all geared up. Smoke chaos, and I had like all these like cable TV IDs, and I was like demolition, like been called into the city, had like a hard hat and stuff, and they're like, I was the only person on the Long Island Expressway, and yeah, you know, I'm doing like 120, it was amazing, and I'm hauling ass, and they let me through, so I parked down there, and that experience, I went in there, I was there when the Citibank Tower fell, I was buried for hours, I couldn't see my hand in front of my face, wow, found a dead police officer, uh. I found an arm and a torso of another person. I stayed there all through the night. And on September 12th, um, there was like a bagel cart that was like smashed and laying there. And we went and like salvaged some food out of there. It was chaos. And I was sitting right by where that structure was of um, there's like an exoskeleton. You see it's kind of an iconic 9-11 picture where the guys are putting the flag up. I was sitting not far from that and I had climbed in all night. I had a hard hat with a bicycle tire and and lights on the side that those like disposable flashlights had them tied on there. And, you know, we're just screaming to help people. And I know, I know training, I didn't, I just wanted to do something and I'll never forget the feeling of, it's probably the most helpless feeling I ever felt in my whole life. Well, at that point. And I, uh, I sat there with my friend. We went to that bagel cart. We pulled this food out, and we had dusted off these bagels. And for the first time in a really long time, you know, and I was a pretty tough kid. Uh, obviously, like pretty much, you know, from mid sixteens on, I raised myself. You know, I lived on the street. Like I, I had a tough, I had a tough deal. You know, and I, uh, you know, um, I had a real tough deal. So I, anyway, I uh, self-inflicted and. Anyway, I looked at my friend, and he's crying, and I kind of was sitting there. I was, like, letting my emotions go. And he he looked at me and said, what are we going to do? Mm. And I just looked at him, and I just said, I'm going to fucking kill whoever did this. I'm just going to kill him. Wow. And, and my buddy looks at me and was like, yeah, dude. For sure, bro. Like and just kind of like <laughs> he just kind of like pats me on the back, and I just was like, "So, you know, in 2003, I enlisted in the military. I wasn't like a, I wasn't running around like dressing up like an army dude, like <laughs> lifeline, you know what the hell the Navy Seals were or anything like that. And um, I was trying to join the army, and." Thank God I didn't. Once they found out I could read, though, they wouldn't let me in. So, uh, I, uh, ouch! Yeah, ouch! Yeah, boys, come get it. So I, uh, no, uh, but you know, the guy, a navy recruiter, came out to me, and you know, I don't take any of these things by chance. And he just came out and he said, "Hey, man, I've seen you here quite a few times. Like, what are you doing?" I was like, "I'm joining the army." He's like, "Why are you doing that?" I said, "I'm going to be an army ranger." And he goes, "Why do you want to do that?" And I said, because like they're the best of the best and he goes no they're not and I said let me show you a video so he brings me to this room with, like a VHS mind you I don't know anything so I roll in there They put in like the heavy metal like 1980s like seals and steroids video and you know CJ Krakas is doing like Hail Marys with his like hip thrusters and pull-ups with like climbing gear on and I was just like damn that's Cool because I like 80s action movies. And that's <laughs> kind of what it looked like. And I get all charged up and the heavy metal's playing. And he's like, You interested in this? I was like, Yeah. He's like, Yeah, they're the Navy SEALs. And I was like, Cool, man. I'm like, what I got to do? He's like, You just got to sign up. And I was like, All right. And then I was like, Did some research and kind of like had to learn how to swim. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, you know, I was like, No high school athlete or anything. I mean, I was, uh, you know, undefeated boxer and, you know, my, my claim to fame, and I'll show you a picture here in a minute, like, was, I used to be a sparring partner for Ray Mercer, who was a heavyweight champ of the world. Right. And, um, so, I mean, I just, like, I was just tough. I just knew I was tough. And, yeah. uh, so, yeah, I joined up and, uh, went to Bud's and, you know, went through boot camp and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, it really changed my life because I had never been, like, a hardcore workout guy. I mean, I didn't really know any of that kind of stuff. I bought a book. I read the book, you know, the 12 Weeks to Bud's or whatever, and... And guys always want to call, you know, they always hit you up on social, like, hey, man, thinking about joining, like, any tips? I'm like, you'll never make it. And they're like, you're a dick, and I just block them. I always block them. If they say anything back to me, I block them, because they're not going to make it. Because if I deter them from their goal, they have no chance. Right. Like, dude, work out. I'm like, you have no chance. I already looked at your Instagram photo, you're too fat. And they're like, dude, you're a dick. You know what? I'm not going to do it now. <laughs> it's like, cool, I just saved the Navy. So, actually, the Navy's probably mad because most of the guys that, you know, we need cooks and we need paint scrapers. And so, you know, that's yeah. really what the SEAL teams are. They're just to get other people in the Navy that think they're going to become SEALs. Mm-hmm. And then they wind up, you know, in the galley peeling potatoes for, you know...
0: Bud's washout. Yeah, Bud's yeah. washout.
2: <laughs> X-Division guys. So, you know, I don't I don't like... I'm not like a cool guy or like, you know, I know so many guys, like such cool guys. I'm just... I just knew, I remember I went there, I had a, you know, I had a pretty, I had a pretty tough life. And yeah. uh, so I was already like, I already like knew who I was. Uh, I was like, I knew I wasn't going to quit, but I didn't know what else to expect. And I'll never forget it. Like just my mentality. I'll never forget. It, it was this guy, his name was, uh, his last name was Walker. He was like a first class. And I remember he came in my room and he's like, he's like, Hey, turn the music down. And I was like, get the fuck out of my room. He's like, excuse me. And I was like, I'm a first class. I was like, I'll knock your teeth out. And he's like, okay. And he like walked away. And then so my roommate, who didn't make it, he's like, dude, you can't do that. I'm like, why? He's like, dude, we're in the military. And I was like, so? And he's like, dude, I'm like, that guy's getting in our room. He's like, he's allowed to. And I was like, really? Like, I didn't, I still didn't click to me that like later on, you know, obviously I like figured that out. But that was my mentality. I was just kind of like, I just wanted to go to war. Yeah. Because... I was really impacted about what I experienced at 9-11. And that was my sole purpose. I wasn't trying to like, you know, get a book deal or like, you know, post black, you know, pictures of myself on the rower and, you know, <laughs> tell everybody how like ripped I am. <laughs> like I didn't have any of that in my life. Yeah. I was just like a small town kid from upstate New York that had just pulled bodies, you know, out of burning rubble. Yeah. And I just didn't wanna have that be the closing chapter of my life, like where I had this experience and I did nothing. So, you know, I listed and, uh, you know, ended up making it through, uh, you know, became a special ops medic, you know, went Fort Bragg and, uh, ended up getting sent to, uh, out of Fort Bragg to SDV. So, uh,
0: so you went through the whole 18 Delta course. Yeah.
2: And then, uh, I, uh, that was, that was a tough deal. Let me tell you something that was really hard. Yeah. Um, the academics and just the pace of everything and <laughs> being a medic's really tough because, um, yeah, you got a lot of responsibility. Everyone's staring at you, you know, and, and they're like, save this dude, you know, yeah. and you're like, it's a lot of pressure, you know, you're like on an airplane, you're on a, you know, helo and it's nighttime and red headlamps and dudes are bleeding out and screaming and yelling. And you're like, putting chest tubes in and cracking people and putting tourniquets on and, you know, if it doesn't work out, you know, it's a, it's a tough deal. Um, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, most of the times I just kind of treated guys for ED. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I just went with it. I'm like, yes, (laughs) that sounds about right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, 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 anyway, I, uh, yeah, I was, I was a medic. And so I, I ended up getting sent to SDV, uh, which is a undersea mobility platform. And it's really an interesting place because most guys don't know about it. Um, You know, they think it's like, Oh, you're like the divers, but actually um, some of the only two national strategic defense missions have been done and they have both been done by STV. Um, That's where I learned that award up there. It was uh, the implications were, you know, world war three. And uh, it was, uh, you know, it's not like, you know, cool guy, like, you know, run around with like your sleeves cut off and your hair spiked or anything. But it was, a, uh, it was one, it's something I will take with me. It will never be unclassified in the history of this nation. Uh, and I was really proud to be more importantly, to be amongst the guys that did that mission with me. I felt very honored because I look back at my life and, uh, you know, when we finished that, we, we got back from our mission, uh, a couple of days later and, we climbed inside this the submarine housing and we all got together and like we'd been training for 18 months for the one mission wow all over the country all over the world and we didn't know where we're going or what we were we we knew what we were doing but we didn't know anything else that was it until the night that we did it Mm, so and now it's a pretty intense emotional moment where you're like fuck i should have went to college (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and uh i had a few thoughts like that <laughs> yeah and look at i mean i i don't i don't i think that um uh it was it was really so we all got we all got inside we held up the american flag you know um inside this little like submarine and we got this picture at this place and it was uh it was pretty cool so i got i got out um you know of that operation and when we got to the country that we were onboarding on i got Sent to Afghanistan on uh, with TF-373. Wow. Um, so, uh, I got sent over there. I augmented uh, damn neck. Uh, they needed uh, assault medics. So, I would, got home. I was dating my now wife at the time who had moved to Hawaii, you know, quit her job. I thought she was going to be rich. That's what she told me. <laughs> she quit her job and moved to Hawaii, picks me up at the airport. I looked at her. I was like, I'm leaving on Wednesday. And wow. I'll be back in six months. Like, I'm going to Afghanistan. So, Jeez. so I pretty much like those back to back deployments there were, were pretty tough. So, I was gone for the majority of that, you know, those years. And, uh, and know, that
0: task force was one of the first ones in, right? Yeah, yeah. So,
2: well, it was, it was 2008, so, uh, which was the deadliest year at the time right. uh, for the teams. And we lost three guys in that deployment. Um, um, uh, one of them was right next to me uh, who died, Josh Harris. He drowned. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was a really tough deployment for me. Uh, it was my first combat deployment and, you know, we lost a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of guys we were constantly in contact constantly, you know, uh, in gunfights. And then, um, Josh Harris, um, I had crossed that river that he drowned in three times. And so the night, uh, on the third time, uh, they took me off the mission and he replaced me. And, Um, and he drowned and we found him 40 clicks down the next morning. And so, uh, what had happened to me was that before that mission went down, I did it. And, uh, the rope got caught around a huge rock. We were, we were crossing the Konar river and a rope got caught around a rock and augered me to the bottom, pulled all my clothes off. I was in nothing but a speedo. And then I was able to get the carabiner off after almost drowning. I was like, I'd like to try to tell you it was like a cool guy thing, but I basically was like a cat in a bathtub. Uh, I, you know, I kind of started blacking out, and I was thinking like this is the end of my life. I started seeing my whole life go before me, and I end up getting the carabiner off. The guy's heave-hoeing me. I'm about 250 meters attached to some one-inch tubular nylon in Class 4 Rapids, and they're, wow. they're holding me on the line. And I kind of hit this dog leg and I pop it off and I crawled underneath some rocks uh, in the border region and I wasn't found till the next morning. And I, you know, patrolled out with no shoes on or anything. Uh, I'd lost all my stuff and it was a tough deal, you know. That was like, and then the next day it's like back business as usual. What happened was we went down to do it again and I got, you know, bumped off the Mish. I was just on the assault force and uh, and then and we lost Josh. He died. And then a week later, the two guys that were on the Mish... Um, John Markham and Jason Freewald—they—they they both were killed uh, in Wardak. So, wow. so I got out uh, of that deployment, and uh, you know, I came home and I got sent into another platoon and uh, put in my paperwork to go to screen for Damneck, and mm. my Master Chief wouldn't let me go. He hated me. And by the way, you know who you are, and if you're listening to this, you're dead no I'm just, kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding i'm just kidding i won't kill you I'll just i just love argue. your dark humor yeah. <laughs> so uh no i mean like it's a grudge that it really helped me for a long time uh so i got sent to uh like standoff weapons and explosives and i did that and uh ended up getting out and going into the reserves and i started uh contracting mm-hmm. so got into the contracting world while in the reserve so i was still uh doing a lot with the teams, you know, um, jumping, in, shooting, you know, shoot trips, um, hurts castmaster, all those kind of things. And I, you know, ended up meeting this dude, got me into contracting. I did a trip to Iraq with uh, the speaker of the house and, uh, during the signing of the sofa agreement. So I was over there in Iraq and I ran into an old team guy, buddy of mine who was like, what are you doing over here? And I was like, you know, I'm like, you know, Diplomatic security, essentially, and he's like, "Dude, give me your email address." So I give him an email address, and that's how I, uh, you know, ended up getting over to the agency uh, yeah. as a, a CIA contractor, paramilitary guy. So, wow, did nine deployments over there. Uh,
0: Only nine. What happened to the tenth? <laughs> Dude, I'm a wimp. That's why,
2: and I don't like round numbers. So, uh, makes sense. Yeah, I mean that that. Uh, so my last deployment was. Uh, one of the deadliest, uh, you know, kind of in the history of that unit, and um, and yeah, I ended up uh, moving out here in 2013, mm. uh, and then I, I actually resigned in 2014. Mm. I, qu- I guess resign is kind of like a professional word. I just fucking quit. I was, I was done. <laughs> I, I was done. I was done. Like I was done doing war. I was done doing soldier stuff and you know that really uh is what started a journey in my life that I mean let's face it I'll be on for the rest of my life yeah and and uh you know I had a I had a hard time you know I didn't I didn't I came back I kind of got in the VA system Uh, I showed up and I'll never forget it I was sitting in front of this girl who was probably about 25 years old and I went in there and, you know, get all my stuff done. They do the psychological eval on me. And she tells me that I got combat related bipolar disorder, PTSD, and fucking not, I was ripped. No, I'm just kidding. That was, <laughs> <laughs> I did have like a way sweeter body at the time. And, uh, <laughs> God, you're beautiful. What does this have to do with yeah, yeah, exactly. evaluation? Exactly. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, she was like a one eyed cat winking at a seafood stand. <laughs> so, but anyway, she, uh, uh, you know, she, she looked at me and I said, Let me ask you a question. I'm like, You know nothing about me. You're going to give me a series of drugs right now. She prescribed me Lunestra, Valium, uh, um, Wellbutrin, like an antidepressant, some anti anxiety med. I don't remember what it was. Uh, and I said, like, And what is this stuff going to do? She's like, Well, it's going to help you get back to normal. I said, Well, how do you know what normal is? And I said, How do you know what normal is for me? And Mm -hmm. she's like, Well, this is why you need the meds. And I'm like, Well, I, and I couldn't. So we got in this huge argument. Long story short, like it got very heated and I left. Mm. She didn't even
0: know your baseline. No,
2: she had no baseline. I was like, You know, and so I didn't know all the stuff I know today about the whole entire system. And so I, you know, I got out uh, of that situation and I felt like very, uh, I felt disturbed because it's kind of like once somebody tells you you're sick, all of a sudden you're like, <laughs> like, I think my throat, like, <clears> throat> you know, like you start to notice more things. And yeah. you know, I'm like, you know, I, I kind of, I'm looking at a box, I'm driving on the road, it's a pizza box. I'm like, shit, IED. And then I'm like, oh, dude, you need help. <laughs> 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 like, you need yeah. help. And, uh you know, for me, everything that was out there was like, you know, take veterans, you know, canoeing, take veterans, uh you know, hog hunting, take veterans to the Super Bowl. I didn't want to do any of these things. I didn't want to go ride four wheelers with vets. Like, I didn't want to do any of that stuff. And I ended up meeting some cowboys out here in Montana who, um, you know, they taught me how to shoe horses and, you know, taught me how to work with horses and I began, you know, working with them and horses started becoming a huge part of my life, like seven days a week. Mm. And let me tell you something. It was no, there, this wasn't a program. These were basically a couple of assholes who had a big horse ranch and found somebody that was dumb enough to get on these, horses that are man killers and survive. Uh, (laughs) and, and I kind of became actually angry at horses. Um, and I wasn't, I was there because I was like in a fight with them. And, and I just, you know, I kept coming back and, and I I liked the challenge. I liked all those things and I learned how to pack and started packing up in the mountains. And I brought some friends out of mine. Uh, one guy hadn't come out of his house in six months, kind of tinfoil hat and, I'm you know, thinking they're coming through the window at any minute. He was in a bad way, and he came out with another team guy buddy of mine, and we went on like a two week trip, and really didn't know what we were doing, and it was one horse wreck after the next. Uh, I mean, we were—I <laughs> didn't really even know what the horses were fully capable of, so I was like kind of like doing horse mountaineering, and it didn't work out, <laughs> and we initially i was kind of nervous because at night would you know it'd be snowing out or we'd have the horses turned out we'd be sitting in our tent. my buddy would be like opening up his like gun and like kind of like putting the rounds in and like taking him out his like revolver and, and he'd be like just talking about like and i'm like sitting there thinking <sighs> i was like smoke my own friend like he's like you know dark he'd go out and he'd like shoot the trees like you know and, and it's kind of like a dark thing but after those like two weeks of just going through today I look back, it was like, it was hell. It sucked. Like we were doing everything wrong. We didn't really know what we were doing. And then after like two weeks, we're like, let's do that again. So we, <laughs> like, we went back out and we did that again. And it was really like a culmination of experiences in my life where I started realizing that it's, it's actually struggle that gives things in life value. And that's what I was missing. And, mm. and it was really that I had focused too much on helping myself rather than discovering who I was as a person post my career. And I think that we create these hybrid identities, you know, where it's like, Oh, like, what do you do? It's like, ah, oh, like, you know, I was a seal. I'm like, okay, like, what, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you actually doing? And, and so these identities create these, you know, these labels and these labels create these, you know, markets and trends that we all follow. And then we never really learn about who we are. We just become a reflection of what we did. And what we've been told that what we did is going to do to us. And so we never really learn about who we are, but it's actually in the face of adversity and challenge that you can begin to discover that really that subconscious being that we all have inside of us. And then that knowledge is what allows us to overcome our external circumstances, essentially learn to live from the inside out. Then it doesn't really matter what's happening in the outside or how bad it gets because you have this knowledge that this isn't just a, you know, this isn't just a, a one quarter game of this, this thing called life, right? That there's something much deeper and much more, uh, um, important than collecting as many things as you can and becoming popular and getting money and, and chasing fame or projecting yourself as something you're not really, or, you know, falling in love with what you used to be. When we think that's the trap, that's the elixir, you know, I mean, to this day, I don't even, I don't like roll around like, you know, being like, yeah, I was like a seal or whatever, because that's, that's not who I am today. Right. What I did was I took those experiences that I learned, but I left the identity behind and I took the experiences that I learned, the hardships, the failures, the mistakes that I made, the, the, um. The successes that I had, and I use those as building blocks of growth in my life. but what I began to realize was that um, so many times we have these experiences, and we take the emotions that are attached to the experience at the time and we bring them forward into the future along with the lesson mm-hmm. and so then alls we're affected by is the emotion, and we never learn from the experience because we're you know we start telling a story and we get diaphoretic and start breathing heavy and it becomes super because your body doesn't know that you're not there. And it created that memory because that memory was traumatic because you almost died. And at the end of the day, we're designed to like survive and pass on the gene pool.
1: Right.
2: And so, you know, for me to come to that point, I basically had to suffer my way to grace and happiness.
0: Yeah. Can I, can I ask you a little bit about what you're speaking on before about identity don't you think that journey had started almost even younger? You know, at 16 years old, you can, you leave home, and you were very clear that you didn't really identify as any one thing. You know, you were tough. You were just a tough kid that wanted to experience all these different things. So I'm sure when you were in the World Trade Center, your immediate thought was not, I want to be a Navy SEAL or I want to be SF. You don't even know what that is. You're, you've already developed that toughness from a very young age, from how you were raised by your father. So don't you think that played into how you saw yourself, you know, post-military as well? It was easier for you to shed that since you had been shedding that kind of your life, your whole life from 16 on, you know, being in a band, you know, working on a dairy farm, doing all these different things that were rooted in toughness, but not any one particular thing. You're not like, I am dairy farmer. I am in a ska band. I am that.
2: I think that... um you know, a lot of people say that we're a product of our environment, and couple. I mean, this is like brand new information. Uh, <laughs> I love it. But I was running uh, a couple of days ago down my road, and my my road is basically a trail. And <laughs> I'm I'm running, and I was thinking about that very thing. Like, we're a product of our environment, right? So, um, and how does that affect us? You know, these environments. And then I just had this like thought that we're really actually just a product of ourselves right that there's this personal agency involved in our life where you have the ability to create and become anything but the experiences in our life when we when we don't know who we are create these these basically hybrid sections in our life like so I grew up I was told you know um you know the I was told like, you know, this is what we did. I lived I didn't question those things. We went to church on Sundays, you know, I do what my dad told me to do. Like, you know, and, and so I was being programmed, right. I was being programmed from their program. I was never learning about who I was. I was doing the things I was supposed to do. It wasn't about discovering myself. It wasn't about figuring out like why I'm here and does my life matter? And what does it mean to have meaning? And what is a subconscious human being? And like, you know, I, I didn't, it wasn't about that. It was like, I did what I was told to do. I did the school. I went jobs. I worked. And and so those are all identities along the way. The only thing that I could say is that my whole life, I just never took things for like at face value. I always felt like, kind of like, I would always ask questions and eventually I'd be like, just shut up. And I'd be like, okay, <laughs> because I, I never just believed everything. And so the, the identity of the military is, is is a really hard thing to get away from because it's a master program. So, the master program is like, you know, you enter in, they shave your head, they take everything away from you, they take your friends away from you, take your money away from you, your ability to buy things, they make you relying on their food, relying on their clothes, relying on their system, and then as you move through that, right, you kind of start to get weeded out. You know, you're going to be good at mechanics, and you're going to be infantry, and you're going to move up, and you're going to do this, or you're going to, you know, all the way up through the ranks, right? You're going to be an officer, you're going to be an admiral, all these... so you're kind of being programmed and groomed the entire time. And then the programs kind of starts to become like, Hey, shoot these little paper targets. Like, okay, cool. They kind of look like people and then you shoot those and then it kind of, and they start to get more realistic and it starts to become more intense. And then there's more shooting and there's more psychological training and then there's more shooting and there's more training and there's more stress tests. And then, and then, so the whole time you're just being put through these series of programs And then when you get out of the military, you know, you go to like five days of tap or whatever the truth and they teach you how to write a resume and, you know, they tell you like, you know, thanks for your service basically. (laughs) And, and then you get out and you get in the real world and your programming doesn't work. Like it just, so if I did the things that we did in the military in America, I would be placed into prison and probably executed. So, I mean, that's just the truth. So that program is not compatible here. So then you feel out of place. So you're like, and as you begin to feel out of place, you know, that's that like reintegration. That's why I say this organization, Heroes and Horses, is not, it's a reintegration program. We're not here to cure people of PTSD or anxiety or any of those things. It's a reintegration program. And that reintegration is actually happens between your ears and the tools on the outside are what help you shift your focus. And so I wouldn't say that I, for me to, shed all those identities like through my life it took a series of extremely difficult search situations and circumstances that kind of broke me down to a point where um, I stopped looking out for answers I stopped looking to be told what to do I didn't need the 25 year old grad student right out of Georgetown to tell me that I had a problem and I didn't even know what it well then how do we even know that that's a problem like you know, we have all these things, and so somebody shows up in a white coat and they give you a bunch of meds, and so that's the deprogramming. You know, I spoke to some, some folks on Capitol Hill uh, from the Veterans Administration, and they're like, listen, it's a liability issue. There's a reason why one in six veterans that walk in the front door of the VA leave on psychiatric meds. Like, it's probably more than that, but um, that's a significant number because your program is not compatible. Therefore, we have to, like, maintain somebody that has this programming, and the stuff they give you is mind-numbing. It's mind numbing. By the end of this year, 140,000 vets will have killed themselves since 2005. That number is probably even higher than that. But when 6,900 guys died in the whole war, 1,500 amputees and, and the unprogramming of these guys is not, it's medicating symptoms. There's no like self-discovery. And so I don't think that I don't think that I'm resilient in the sense just because of my life. I think it's just maybe it's the way that I just learned to look at things. Mm -hmm. And I was the reason why I went to 9-11 and ran into the, you know, to the towers and experienced that and other people ran the other way. So I'm like running in there and everybody's fleeing there. And I don't have any training. You know I mean? Like, you want to go in there and like play a backbeat? Like, no problem. Like, you know, <laughs> here's some double bass, like, I'm on it. Uh, you want to get knocked out, I'll help you out. And uh, but that was like my level of skill. And, and besides climbing telephone poles, and but something inside me was like, I just never wanted to be a victim in my life. And so I guess that would be the answer to your question was that. I never, like, I never, I always saw a way out. Like, I never ever got to a point in my life where there's, like, no way out. I always felt like there was always something. And so, I think that's why I joined the military, because I felt very helpless. I'm sitting there September 12th. I'm with my friend. Like, you know, I'd just seen, like, dead bodies. And, like, you know, I had, I'm, I'm like, I'm crushed. Mm-hmm. But I, like, couldn't live with that, that, like, I had been defeated. So, I you know, I went and I, and I enlisted and joined up the military. So I think it's probably a combination of all those things together. So, um, you know, that, that led me to this point, but I also think that I don't take the easy way. Yeah. And so I think people think the easy way helps them, but the easy way kills you. Mm. And and it's, it, it, the, the easy way is to perpetuate an identity or, or, or live off the past successes or live with the past failures, um, that's really the easy way. The hard way is to, is to press in, challenge yourself, you know, challenge your thinking and begin discovering who you are outside those identities. That's the hard way. But that to me is the only way, uh, you know, to overcome the obstacles that every single human being faced veteran or non-veteran. Mm.
0: Let me ask you a question. When you hit that moment, when you're on your first maybe mission as a seal, what was there a moment where you thought to yourself like you know i made it or you know or had a moment where you thought back to standing in the rubble in the trade center and thinking about what it was like and you know where you'd finally you know reconciled some of that
2: yeah so there's actually like a, a picture i posted i don't know like last year or something on my uh Instagram and it's me looking over the uh the Korengal Valley and I'm just kind of like standing there looking out I'm like you know I'm geared up I'm wearing a t-shirt I was actually like running up and down the hill and and I uh was having a pretty emotional moment because I'm like looking over this valley and I thought back to this kid at the World Trade Center and I thought about everything that I had went to that moment and in no way did I feel that I had arrived Mm. but I felt like, I felt like this is like, I'm about to do what I said. Mm. Like that was a pretty amazing feeling because like you could, you know, you could be like 350 pounds and you're sitting next to your buddy. He's like, oh, I'm going to get in shape, And you're like, okay dude cool like have another swiss roll, and 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 then all of a sudden you see the guy a year later and he's like running the boston marathon you're like holy shit right like wow you know like he's at the starting line think about what he feels right because the journey along the way and so i my buddy snapped a picture of me i didn't even know he took it he's an amazing guy he's a gb guy and you know i was a i was a young team guy and he snapped that picture and I remember in that very moment, I remember I kind of like stopped because everything was moving so quick. Like I, mm-hmm. I wasn't like, you know, I'm doing this for 9-11 or any of those kind of things. Like I was, you know, yeah. getting tortured and going through buds and, you know, getting treated like shit, like everybody else. And then going through all this training and next thing you know, you're like wielding a gun in like a foreign country. And it's like, I, that was the first time I actually was able to pause wow. and look at like these years of my life that had led me to this point. And it was the culmination of luck, hard work, like effort and commitment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think that any of those could exist without the other one. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I feel myself fortunate to, you know, I don't consider myself special in any way. I just consider myself fortunate to have realized that I had the fortitude to do anything that I put my mind to.
0: So you have that moment where you you know, you get out of the military and you're struggling with reintegration. Can you kind of talk about that process of going from a hundred to zero and you know, stopping in your tracks and realizing that life is not that anymore. It's not being a seal. You're you are where you are and nobody cares. What what was that like for you?
2: So I uh you know, sometimes uh somebody said to me one time you know, what program did you go to? And I said, the one that I created (laughs) because what I needed didn't exist out there. I was doing it subconsciously. Like sitting still was hard for me. Right. That was like the dark days. Like if I had nothing to do, Mm -hmm. I would find something to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I tell this story how when we first moved here to Montana, right before my last deployment, uh, I came home from Afghanistan and, you know, I called my wife three days before. I said, we're moving. We're moving to Montana. We're picking. And so she goes and buys a trailer she finds on Craigslist the next day. Never yes. drove a trailer before in her life. 24-foot car hauler. And then picks it up and, like, can't turn it around. So when I get home, it's, like, parked crazy on the curb, like, all sideways. She drove it from Delaware. <laughs> I gotta give it to her. And wow. yeah. And Sounds we, like the perfect
0: wife for you. <laughs> listen, I came
2: home. She's ten times smarter than me. I came home and I remember we like kinda like knocked it out real quick. And then I started I started loading the boxes. Like we just left. She, and she's pregnant again. And you know, we're she's you know, wearing a bikini, the air conditioners broke on my 95 Ford, you know, we're like, you know, <laughs> kids in the back, like it was just, it was, we were like, I had the barbecue grill strapped to the tongue. Uh, I mean, it was like, so we pull up here to Montana and we rented a house out here in this like Dutch church community and I got out, you know, covered in tattoos, long hair, huge like Viking beard and I get out and I had like beer in my hand and I'm like, Montana! <laughs> and like, the neighbors just like crows their garage and just walked inside. (laughs) I'm pretty sure they hated me and they were afraid of me and uh, I was afraid of myself. And so, but so they kind of looked at you like the guy with California plates. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like I had this, like this was kind of the start of like me recognizing the experiences in my life because of course, like, you know, I want to like grow my own vegetables and like, you know, be sustainable or whatever. So I start this garden and I, you know, I get into this like full on war with these like underground foals that eat your plants. And I had gasoline and hoses. I'd caught the yard on fire. Like <laughs> I just wanted to kill these things. And so I had all these starter plants and I've kind of shared this story quite a few times and I was so impatient. So I have all these seeds in my windowsill, hundreds of them. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they started to show a little bit of green and I'm not the green thumb in the family, but I would just brush all the dirt away. And just to make them kind of like, come on, let's, let's get growing so I can plant you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I killed, um, almost every one of them because the plants needed that struggle to develop the root system and the strength of coming up through the dirt. And I remember like, I had this thought and I said to my wife, I was like, I helped them to death. (laughs) I helped them to death. Wow. I helped them so much that they died. Hmm. And that was a really like, you know, they needed a little of
0: that adversity.
2: They, well, you can't live without it. It's impossible. Really? That's why babies' heads are larger than the rest of their body. So they're meant to fall down mm-hmm. because they need to push themselves up so they can develop, you know, uh, muscular structure and balance. And, you know, it's very, very natural biological process of everything in, in the natural world is that is that struggle is what forges and, and creates, you know, strength and character and, resiliency. And so I went on, I I went and and I, and I deployed back and I came back to my last appointment and that was a a really, really hard time in my life. You know, it was, uh, it was extremely hard. You know, I was like having a lot of nightmares all the time. And I was like, you know, I had, uh, I had left the job. I, I, you know, I was like, kind of like doing this horse thing on the side and I didn't know anybody here, you know, of course, like typical, like Cool guy, I didn't ask anybody for help. So because that's know, cool, kids. Cause, yeah, because it's cool. It's just like you know, just like shooting dudes, brother. So it's like, and I, I don't I, need your help doing I'm it, nah, dude. Just gotta drink these ninety-seven beers, dude. Uh, like do do Fran. So Fran. So I was like, you know, I was like, but I just, I didn't like, I just wasn't. I just had to figure it out, and so. You know, for me, I created this process for my friends, but really what was happening was I was creating what I needed for my own life. And because people are like, How'd you come up with this like 41 day program and this like so comprehensive? And is that I I was doing it for myself, like initially, because I was really broken. Yeah. Uh, and it, you know, it almost destroyed my marriage, it almost destroyed um you know, my relationship with my kids, I've got four kids. Uh, I was really in a bad way. Mm. I just didn't know it at the time. Everybody around me knew it, but I, I think everybody was afraid of me. Mm. So like nobody would say anything because I'm, you know, kind of an intense dude. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, you got a problem when you like jump out your window and like chase down a local cop because you tried to shut your car door. <laughs> like, like you did that. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, I was just I was just so inside my my own head. And so, wow. you know, the horses and the mountains and the environmental challenges and then bringing other vets out. You know, the first season that I did this, we did a film with Yeti called 180 out through a friend of mine.
0: It's beautifully done, by the way.
2: Yeah. Great film. Mark Seacast. Shout out to him. Alec Goplin. Shout out to him. Great guys. They, they came to me initially. The story was going to be a story about me, like killing an elk or whatever. And God knows, like nobody cares about that anymore. And <laughs> it's like, I mean, I'm on, glad dude. they didn't go with that. Like, I'm a li- like a lifelong hunter, but I'm just like, I'm kind of tired of that. So, um, it's not even about hunting. It's just about looking like you're hunting and eating like natural foods. Yeah. So, um, I, uh, <laughs> I'm killing all the dinosaurs, by the way, just so y'all know, (laughs) I'm a dinosaur killer. So, um, yeah, I just, uh, they, they kind of started learning about me and I kind of started, I was on this own journey and I look at myself in that film and I'm like, whoa, like I watch it today and I know like what was going on in my own head Mm. and, um, I had uh, I ran three classes. I had founded the organization, a nonprofit. I didn't even know what a nonprofit was. I bought a book, read all about it, did the paperwork uh, on my last deployment, and then finished it like with my wife at my house. Formed the nonprofit, and uh, I pretty much self-funded the first portion of it. And the program used to be that you come out for two weeks, go home, come out for two weeks for phase two, and then. Go home and then go to like this phase three. And I ran out of money on the third class and I was self funding it, pretty much burning it to the ground. I got in this huge argument with my wife. I'm putting it on the credit cards. Like, and she's like, you know, you're going to basically like, you're going to like bankrupt our family. I was like, well, I'm, I don't, I'm going to finish what we started. <laughs>
0: that makes an argument
2: well (laughs) yeah you can't imagine just just don't argue with me so i i was uh i had just uh delivered my daughter at home with myself with my wife wow in in her bedroom what was that like i always tell people like it wasn't bad until she like got on all fours and i wasn't prepared for that (laughs) and wow it was a lot and I delivered it. My daughter came out, had a cord around her neck. I pulled the cord off. And uh, my wife was like, just, you know, like big meditation person, like didn't even make any noise. And she like rolled over and never, baby didn't even get a bath for like the first, like three or four days. Never went to the doctor or anything like that. Um,
0: There you have it folks. Micah Fink delivers his own babies. Well,
2: my father (laughs) delivered me at home. Wow. Okay. Uh, And so I, I kind of wanted to do it too. That's cool. And, I delivered my my little girl, Nora, and then I got like some raviolis Mm. and kind of munched down some raviolis and that's the end of the story. (laughs) (laughs) I like that story. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Like, yeah, anyway. So Chef Boyardee right no, after. No, no, they're actually really good. The restaurant closed down. Oh, great raviolis. Okay,
0: so not like cheating from nah, the chat. Okay.
2: Nah. Dude, natural food guy. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah that's true. Yeah, Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I forgot about that part. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. So, yeah, we, uh, and then I left three days later into the backcountry. Wow. So, right before I leave, National Geographic is doing a, a thing on the organization through a friend of mine and i have no money to pay for the students that are coming back we're filming this like 180 out deal i'm like i did not know this <laughs> so so wow. my buddy that came through rode he he after doing these pack trips to like raise awareness for the program he got these three horses and rode them from colorado here to montana mm. straight and he uh had some breaks along the way and and so national geographic was covering him i was leaving to go down there to like i showed up and there's this scene where we're kind of like hugging or whatever and the, there, actually i'll tell you like a total side story It's nothing it's crazy so Love basically it. i get into like we're the furthest place you can get from any road in the lower 48 states it's 32 miles and i meet him there he's been riding up for colorado and we just get wasted, right? So we start chugging like Pendleton. We're in the middle of nowhere. We're at this place. And uh he comes to my tent at like eight o'clock at night and he's like, Hey man, can I like use your sat phone and call my wife? I was like, I was like, sure, man. So I like give it to him and I fall back asleep, kind of like my body's hurting. that's a, that's a long ride and a horse. And um, and plus we drink the bottle of Pendleton. So I'm in my tent sleeping and like about two o'clock in the morning, I hear like, like on my tent and I'm like, oh, I pull out my 44 mag and I'm like thinking it's a bear and it's him. And he's like, he's like, yeah, help me. I'm like, so I like, I, you know, he's like, I come, I turn my light on. It's like swamp thing. He's covered in mud from head to toe. he, so the Yellowstone river has these huge cutouts, right? Like the banks cut banks that are, you know, some of them are 10 feet high. I mean, they're huge cutouts where it comes in the Yellowstone Lake.
1: Yeah.
2: And he was out like drunk talking to his wife, like wandering around and walked <laughs> off one, fell into the Yellowstone and got like swept away. Wow. And he saved the sap phone. I got to give it to him. Like wow. That was like pretty much my whole net worth at the time. And, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> like i'm glad
0: he's still alive i know and he came he's like
2: i almost died and uh, i was like dude i was like
1: are you good he's like yeah i
2: was like all right good night <laughs> the next morning i was all like you know ptsd and out but uh it was, all, PTSD and out. It was like totally ptsd and out but wow. anyway so what had happened was i was questioning like what am i even doing right now with this you know these horses and I had leased all these horses from this ranch. Those are the ones you see in that film 180 out. And I'm like basically 65,000 bucks into this deal. I need another 24 grand. Jeez. And as I'm on my way to Wyoming with the horses, uh, my friend calls me. And was like, Hey, I want you to get a beer with this guy. And to this day, you know, this gentleman's become like a father to me and just an incredible guy, incredible man. And he, I said, no, man, I can't do it. He's a Marine. He's like, oh, I got to come meet this guy. I can meet this guy. I'm like, I can't, bro. I got like no money. I got problems right now. And I'm heading to Wyoming. He just keeps pressing it. I show up at this place. I decide I'll have one beer. And I sit down and I kind of start talking about what I'm doing. I'm like a little punchy at the time. And the guy's like, hey, do you have horses with you? I was like, yeah. He's like, can I pet one of them? I was like, sure. So I'm like, in Bozeman, I like, take the horse out. He's like, petting the horse. And he he hands me a check and he looks at me and he goes, you're the worst nonprofit guy I've ever met in my life, and I've been dealing with nonprofits for forty years. And I, and I was like, "Thanks, dude." And I'm like, wow. "I was like," Psh. he hands me a check. I'm like, "Thanks." He's like, "You're supposed to ask people for money." And I was like, "Do you have any money?" <laughs> no, I was like, oh, "Funny." And so, I like, I get in the truck, and so what I needed was I needed twenty four thousand. $500 to pay this other place that I had leased. And I got the students coming in in a week when I get back from Wyoming, no money. So this is the big fight, you know, wife's pregnant hormones, still like recovering. I'm putting all everything on the credit cards and no money. I'm not getting paid. I'm not making any money, you know, PTS, like out of my mind. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I open up the check and it's for 25 grand. Oh my gosh. Wow. And 500 bucks left over. Wow, which I spent on cigarettes and weed. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm a vet. Monster Energy drinks and yeah, in my brown Toyota pickup in Copenhagen. Truck. I, uh, <laughs> so yeah, Copenhagen. go Exactly. So Mark uh,
0: like, is Micah stop talking?
2: That's <laughs> yours. <laughs> so no, another room yeah. listening through the wall. Yeah. No, it's like this. At the end of the day, it's just the truth. And I, uh, I knew in that moment that I was doing the right thing. I knew that you know. Whatever you believe, you know, but I really believe it was the providence of God that was like looking out for me or higher being or whatever you, whatever you subscribe to or nothing, which is really sad. But, um, I knew that no matter how bad it got, I knew right in that moment that no matter what happened, Mm. that I was doing the right thing because I did not take that as a chance. And so I went and I paid that and I finished the season. We finished that 180 out video and that was really you know that year i went through heroes and horses like mm. i i, I let it i guess you could say but uh i mean i i i a veteran attacked me i remember on like the first <laughs> class he was like detoxing off of heroin and you know I'll, i i i'll never forget it. i was like out there and i was pretty little tacky myself you know and so yeah. you know he was out there and he said something to me and i was like hey could you like pick up those halters and he's why don't you pick them up i was like <clears throat> i remember i turned around looked, and i was like you know i've like been really nice to you this like, whole time and i was like you ever talked to me like that yeah, again i'll smash your head like a grape i remember i said to him, he looked at me he was like he just like came like just Charging? this guy will tell you the story because he comes back here and volunteers like every year since and i love that guy shout out you know who you are and i love that guy he's like a brother to me and he came at me and attacked me and I remember I just stood there and as soon as he got like right next to me, I just tripped him and I jumped on top of him and I choked him out and he started tapping and I didn't let, it didn't matter. We're not in the UFC. And we're like, this is life. we're in the horse pen right now, buddy. Like you're going to, the, I remember the kid, the rancher there is like, hey, he like comes over and he's like, and I just got him. And of course he's on the ground doing the whole, you know so we're like slapping i'm like shaking him. i'm like oh no and he, he jumps up and he's like runs away and and i'm like oh shit like damn it so we're doing I the one e- yeah we're doing the one yeah Yeti guys are like oh it's just <laughs> wild and so anyway uh he came back and was crying and was like i love you and of course you know veteran love and so yeah yeah, he uh he went on, detoxed off heroin, and uh, you know, and that experience changed his life. So I, I lived it. That that's the point of all my stories, is that like wow. leading up to that was that I was living it. I, I didn't see a psych, I didn't have a counselor, I didn't take pills, I didn't do any of those things. I lived through really an immense amount. I would say it's one of the greatest suffering periods of my life. It's hard I mean, every guy that, that's had any form of trauma or, or served in combat, like like I was just I was just suffering, like, you know, in my own head. But like I was so busy like leading other people and being like supposed to be the one that has it together that when the focus comes off of you and you begin leading, and that's why horses are such an important part of what we do, because you know, not only are they a reflection of of who you are in the inside, the authentic you, you're leading these animals, right? So you have this responsibility where you can't just like lay down and play dead. You know, they're your, they're, they're your wheels, you know, when you're 20, 30 miles in the back country, like they got all your gear, they got all your stuff. Like the focus starts to come off of you and it begins to become about them. And I think when that perspective changes, you know, that's, that's one, you know, small component, but, uh, of what happens here at, at Heroes and Horses. And so that's what I essentially was doing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, you know, I was, uh, I was leading other people and finding my own way by helping other people find theirs. <laughs>
0: When did that element of, because you talk about your dad being, you know, your father being a pastor. Yeah. And my dad is as well. And some of the things he would say to me as a kid, you know, was like, if you see what culture is doing, you usually want to, like, do the opposite of that. So, you know, like these, yeah. you know, pastorly fathers, you know, and, and still mentor to me to this day. Yeah. You know, and one of my best friends. But when did that really come into... When did that really come into the essence of what you were doing with heroes and horses? Was that something you chose to live by as soon as you moved away from home? Was it something that you that took place when you were in the Navy and you know you really saw a moment or was it after that you really took that life principle and used it as a guide for what you're doing?
2: Um I didn't start realizing that listen, today it's never more relevant than it is like just right this very moment, like Mm -hmm. find out what the world's doing, find out what they're telling you what to do and do the complete opposite. And I didn't realize that until I started heroes and horses. Um, Because what happens is, is that like it goes back to what I was saying earlier is that like a memory is, is the, the greater the emotional quotient attached to an experience the more prevalent the memory becomes, right? So if I'm like walking down the street and, you know, some like smoking hot chick and like typing pants drops a hot dog on the ground, <laughs> like I'm probably not really going to remember that. Um, right. but if I'm like staying at the hot dog stand and a dude walks up and pops the dude in the forehead and like robs the cash register, pretty sure I'm going to like remember that for the rest of my life. Right. Well, Why? Because when something happens like that, your body releases huge amounts of adrenaline and hormones and catecholamines and all, and that's designed to make you remember so that you can avoid that situation moving forward in your life. And so those like experiences, what happens is we get wrapped up in the experience when there's a lesson to be had in every single experience in our life, big and small. But we don't take and look for the lessons. We take and focus on the emotions associated with what happened. And then that creates huge amounts of problems because those emotions are meant for the past. They are not meant for the future. So if we can leave those emotions behind and take the lesson forward, then that's how we establish growth. And and that's how we begin to put one block on top of two blocks. Well, I didn't recognize those things because... I knew them my whole life, but they hadn't been bridged together. You know, there was like a series of events in my life, but none of them were strung together until really I started, you know, Heroes and Horses. And and the thing is, I didn't want to, everybody was like, wanted to take me, hey, like, why don't you come on down, like shoot a deer in Texas, and we'll tie it to the tree. And, you know, we'll give you some like mossy oak, and like you can like eat as much pizza as you want. And I was like, No, thanks. Like, like, I mean, look, I got invited on all these like weird things. And I was like, I just was like, dude, I'm not doing that. And like, I'm not like, you know, I was like working out. I was like, you know, I was like, I I just wasn't like, I didn't want to go do that because I kind of felt like I was going to die or something. And so... What, what happened was I realized that every single thing out there for vets was associated with like peace and serenity and relaxing and, and forgetting. And the horse program, I got invited in this horse program, which I did not go to. And they're like, well, there's no riding, but there is a lot of petting. And I mean, forget it. Like, how would you feel that if you went out with a girl and she's like, there's no riding, there's only petting? You'd be like, mm, I can't go out with you. I want someone that there's only riding and I'm not interested in betting. Like, so I mean, like. This analogy is pretty, it's taking us down an interesting
0: road. Yeah. But look, at,
2: I mean, that's just the truth, right? Like, I'm like, hey, wait a second. I'm not disabled. Like, I want to ride. I want to like, I want to do stuff. I'm capable. I mean, I can do 30 pull-ups. Like, I can't, I'm not allowed to ride it because I was in combat. Like, I'm not. Yeah. And so I didn't like that. And what I wanted to do is I needed to be challenged. I needed to be challenged to learn about myself. And, and not let my past experiences define me. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote a quote, um, what you see on our website and it's still the most relevant quote and I've done tons of made up tons of quotes and stuff. And, but the most important one to me in my life was one that I came up with sitting at my kitchen table during the first year of heroes and horses. And I said, we're not defined by our many scars, but by what we do after the wound closes Mm. And, and if you really take a minute and think about that, and I remember when I wrote that, um, I had been divining my, defining my life by the scars, look at from my, from my family, from leaving home, from, from, you know, the experiences I had when I was, you know, a, a kid on the street, like. You know, that was like, those were hard times, man, like really hard times. And so, you know, I had this chip on my shoulder and then the military and the teams and the culture and the, and the ages and all these things. So I just, I had been defining my life by every single thing that I had done, but I really didn't know who I was. Mm. I had done a lot of great things that I'm, I'm proud of. And, and, and I'm more so proud of the guys that I served with because I got to see other people do incredible things, which that really inspired me. You know, to even want to like do more and pursue more. And I've met something just uh, walk among giants, you know, and, uh, but I really was just reflecting my,
0: my, my positive my things are, cause I'm getting that people laughing, dude.
2: What's going on with all the joy in here, boys? <laughs> I need you to cut that out. Yeah. Cut that joy out. <laughs> tuck it down in your heart, put it away. <laughs> That's the theme of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Take your little heart and <laughs> tuck it away. All right, nobody cares. But uh, you know, and I and I like so many, I was defined by my experiences. And then when I had bad behaviors, if you want to use the term bad behaviors, because it's a whole another conversation. But you know, when I had when I was doing things that were self destructive, what did they let us do as vets? We get a free pass because it's like you get pulled over. It's like you know DUI. Like, dude, I'm a vet. And I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> move along and (laughs) (laughs) so like so we like get a pass of bad behavior because of what we did and like there's no personal agency we're not responsible for it because we had an experience right and uh you know i wasn't taking responsibility for myself and and i knew that deep down inside that i had to find a way yeah but it had to be my way because the way that everybody else was advertising i just didn't buy into that I didn't buy into that. I should take like a shit ton of mind altering chemicals that put me into an altered state of reality when I didn't even understand this reality. So maybe I should like figure this reality out before I get into another altered reality. And, uh, so three levels deep, man, dude, man, we'll go deep, man. We'll go consciousness. if You want to. So I, uh, you know, that, that once that came together, all my experiences, like it just like, imagine a chain link that's like sitting on your desk and there's no, they're not linked together. And then all of a sudden, everything starts to click and all the links become together and it's one continuous chain. Now I can travel along that chain, learning from each and every experience and drawing from them, regardless if it was negative or positive, it doesn't really matter. And that ability only comes from learning about yourself and who you are. You know, we get master's degrees in other people's ideas, all right? We get PhDs in other people's ideas. But most people don't have any of their own. Yeah. That's why you got to go, you know, you go to the self help section, and you're like, the books that are, you know, 12 steps to this. And you're like, shit, guys, got to write another book. He's like, 10 mm. steps to this. Yeah. He's like, I got to write another book. Next thing you know, it's like, one step to this. It's like, well, then, you know, <laughs> I don't even. <laughs> what's the deal here? <laughs> I hey, want to stop you right there because
0: yeah. you hit on something really important on personal agency. You know, we were talking about it earlier. I think a couple of days ago we were discussing World War II veterans coming back. Yeah, there weren't those self-help books, right? Like there was no <laughs> book, there no. No, no Barnes and Nobles for you to go grab that book up. You had to figure it out on your own. You had to beg for your job back sometimes, even when you're, you know, a war hero. You're coming back and asking for your job. You know, I have several instances I've talked to Jesse about where I was interviewing a uh, veteran of iwo jima and he's telling me like i had to literally get on my hands and knees and beg for my job back at 19 years old you know and my boss didn't care that i had been in war didn't care at all
2: yeah it's uh there's a cultural shift obviously that happened uh, you know during that time you know Mm -hmm. and you know my grandfather was a world war ii vet and he served in korea as well and he came home and he had to get a job like immediately yeah. Yeah, the kid and a wife, and like there was no um, you know, there was no you know, wounded warrior skydiving for him to go to. Okay. There wasn't. He's got to know that's healing. <laughs> so um <laughs> nothing <laughs> heals you more than having your cheeks touch your ears. So um I uh there was nothing there. He got back and he was like, I, I mean, I don't have time to be like I have to go to work, I have to support my family. And look at that. There's a Vietnam vet guy that lives here who is an incredible human being. And I actually like met him a couple months ago and You know, he talked about how when he got out, he's like, I didn't really have any problems because I immediately like went to university and then I got a job and I started working and then I didn't really start having problems till I like retired. (laughs) Like, cause he had never dealt with anything. He basically was just go, go, go. And he's like, then I'm next thing I know, I'm like 55 years old. Now I'm like having Vietnam problems Hmm. and like what happened, you know? And so, um, I think that, uh, I think there's been a huge cultural shift because life has become so easy. And so by making life super easy, we help people to death back to like my point about those plants that I murdered and I did it in cold blood. (laughs) I knew it was going to kill them. I liked it. So I, uh, no, but like it, 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 it's, it's so true, um, that we help people to death. And so the easier it becomes, the more there's a death that happens inside of us, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's a death that happens and then it causes all these symptoms of, you know, depression anxiety and fear and like, you know, helplessness and hopelessness because there's no reason and there's no meaning left anymore. Right. So like there is, for instance, everything in life that has any value has a struggle component. Right. That's why we, that's why we literally have struggle. We have obstacle course races, right. Right. where, Okay, like I climb over, I jump over the log, I flop in the round in the mud, I get tased, I get whacked over the head by some like roided out meat stick with like a with a jousting stick, and then when I get done, I show up to the office Monday morning, and I'm like, everyone's like, dude, you did it, you like faced an obstacle. What was it like? Right, like because you've learned something about yourself, and then what do you do? I want to train for the next one right? Mm -hmm. I want to go to the next obstacle and to the next obstacle. And then we have obstacle machines where we enter the obstacle, you know, and then look at, you get off the machine. I know everybody listening to this does the same thing. Like you have like a crazy workout in the treadmill. You enter your obstacle 45 at three incline at seven, one, and you get off another car home. You call your like best bud and you're like, Oh, what's going on? It's like, nothing i just got off like dude, like a 30 for 30 dude just kind of on the mill, like and, and they're always like oh dude nice you're back running yeah. and it's like you face an obstacle yeah right so every single thing that has any value is associated with okay muscles people think you get strong from working out no you get strong from tearing your muscles and then they regrow you put load onside on them our spirits are the same way so obstacles are our opportunity to learn about who we are. So by reducing obstacles, the only thing that you know is experiences. Mm. And then those experiences have emotions attached to them. And that's what fucks with your head. That's what fucks with your reality. Mm. Because you think that So what do we do with vets? We make it easier and easier and easier. I have guys come here. I'm like, look, at if you're chugging Monster Energy drinks, eating Snickers bars, you have no job. You're 50 pounds overweight. You play video games all day. And I know you pee on the toilet seat and (laughs) your family hates you. It's not the war in 2005. I'm sorry. Like it's poor choices. And so if you have trouble sleeping, let's remove all caffeine Reset your circadian rhythm. Start working out. Start meditating. Start... Whoa, 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 dude. I don't have that kind of time. It's like you don't even have a job. (laughs) And because... But what they they don't realize is that the easy way kills you. Mm. The hard way, the difficult way is the... Suffering your way to grace and happiness is the story of mankind. This is not me. And I'm not saying like, follow what I say. I'm not saying that in any way. What I'm saying is that you know who you're supposed to be. And it's the challenges in life that will show you that path. But if you really want to know what it is, get ready for hardship. Get ready for difficulty. Get ready to make choices that are going to make you feel uncomfortable. And when you do, that's why this program is 40 days long. When you do, your addiction to other people's ideas and life constructs and economic constructs and veteranism and victimism and all these other isms and like all of a sudden it just dissipates mm. and you begin to discover who you are and when you gain that knowledge of who you are and who you were created to be, that purpose allows you to overcome your external circumstances. I love that
0: so why why the horses what do the horses bring into that
2: uh so horses to me um, you know I, I started working with wild mustangs four years ago. Uh, we did a film called the Five hundred Mile Project, and we broke them,
0: which uh, is a wonderful film
2: yeah, it's a very moving film uh it's the story of the unpurposed horse and the unpurpose human being and how purpose allowed people and horses to overcome their external circumstances and and so A little bit of knowledge about horses is that horses obviously survived, like, you know, the dinosaur period. They're they're like pretty amazing creatures, right? So the first earliest horse uh, that was ever discovered here in North America was this little ungulate. It had like three hooves on each foot and it was about like a foot tall. Mm. And then horses came over here from the Spanish and, and they were turned loose. And then the native peoples here started capturing them. And they really became a tool of locomotion. And horses are designed to do, physiologically designed to do one thing and one thing only. Run away from predators as fast as possible. They have the highest VO2 max out of any land animal on earth. Their ability to process oxygen. They have binocular and binocular vision. So their eyes, you know, they see, see things, you know, between eight and ten times larger than they are. That's why you're like, you walk up with like a grocery bag and the horse is like a colt. He like freaks out and goes crazy. You're like, dude, it's a bag. <laughs> um, but it's a huge bag. <laughs> <laughs> kind of scary. Yeah. And, and so they can't see four feet in front of them. They can't see four feet behind them. They can only breathe through their nose wow. like a horse can't vomit. His stomach hangs off one tendon. So as he moves, it sloshes and hits his diaphragm, causing it to breathe, like getting like hit and causing it to go. <gasps> right. So the faster they go, the more that 50 liters of fluid sloshes, hits against them. Their neck comes straight. They have a ram air system. They're uptaking air, all to stay away from humans and mountain lions and grizzly bears. And they can see you from miles away. They sense you. So they're highly evolved. I always tell people, I'm like, horses are, they're dumb. Yeah. But instinctually, they are highly evolved and developed. So let's say we have a vet that comes to Heroes and Horses and he's like super angry, you know, violent, angry, you got you know, in and out of jail. We've, we've had, we've had them all. And, and that horse, the moment we could have all these gentle horses, and the moment the guys start walking up to the horses day 1 of a 41 day program you start to see certain animals that have been matched up with dudes and we strategically match the horse and the human and I can talk about that you'll start to see like the nicest horse start to act very strange right cuz here comes this guy anger anxiety like just just you know bound up like and as they walk to go meet their horses you can see the horse is like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Like in the horse will start to, because he's projecting this energy, right. And they're designed to do what run away from us. And the horse is thinking, uh, or feeling, what is this human being going to do to me? Right. He's going to, he's going to hurt me. He's going to attack me. He's got, you know, and so what happens is you learned to, it becomes a reflection of who you are. So initially it blames the horse. This is a bad horse. This horse is a dink. This horse is this. This horse is me. When really it's it's you. Mm. You're doing that to that animal. And so, you know, that horse-human connection is transformational because 90% of everything in this organization happens with zero talking. Mm. We don't we're not having conversations like this. Yeah. We put you in a place with your animals with huge amounts of responsibility. And Everything else happens very naturally. Uh, guys get very angry, blame the horses, hate the horses, like <laughs> until they begin to really look at themselves. And we kind of help them see that. Yeah. I had a guy uh, last year. I put him on a specific horse for a reason. And he got off uh, this horse. It was like I don't know, day 10 or something. And he started you know crying and he got off. And he's like, this horse is going to kill me. <laughs> like, he's going to kill me. I walked over the horse. I got on the horse. Stepped off. Side-passed him, moved him around, walked around, nothing. Shook a bag, did nothing. Wow. I gave him back to the guy, and the horse started backing up. Right? The horse started backing up when he would walk near because he was so angry. He was so angry and so frustrated at himself Mm -hmm. that – and he was just not aware. So when he learned to calm down, relax, lower his shoulders, stop behaving like that, don't treat this horse like you treat people – all of a sudden, the horse just became like, done. He was just great. Mm. And and when you see that, I've seen, I don't even know how many people just really break down, especially in the backcountry with their horses, when they begin to look and say, a guy says, oh my God, this is what I do to my wife. This mm. is what I do to my little children. I do this to them. This is what they're living with. And when the magnitude, I had that experience, like when the magnitude of who you are comes back flooding back at you through the medium of a horse and you're at 10,000 feet in the middle of nowhere. You can't run away. You can't escape. You can't guys quit. Oh, I quit. I'm like, bye. You can't take the horse by the way. And they're like, ah, I'm out of here. And like 10 minutes later, they're like,
1: you guys have any coffee? And they always come back because it's scary out there. I'm not going to lie. It's scary.
2: And, and, and the horses become the greatest teachers because they're evolutionarily designed to run away from things that want to hurt them. But when you become the leader of that animal, horses are not looking for friends, okay? They live in a hierarchy. Mm. So where you are in that hierarchy is what you're going to get. So if I walk into the horse corral and I'm the low guy in the totem pole and I go up to the – and I'm a horse and I go up to the hay and there's another horse there and I'm not done eating – What's happening to this dude? I pin my ears and I smash them. Mm. Right? Because you're the low dude. So whatever's left on the ground, because there's an alpha mare and an alpha male. So that stud horse in the wild looks out for predators. He's watching out for the herd. They'll see, you'll see him in the wild circling the herd. And the mare is leading them to food and water. Nobody messes with her. Mm. Like queen bee. So she's out there. No one's kicking her, doing anything. She's leading them. Takes from the foot, she eats, then, then everybody in the pecking order comes. Well, with human beings, you're going to fall somewhere on that pecking order. Because like when people lead a horse and I'll watch and the horse will be like right next to their shoulder, They're like he loves me. Okay, horse doesn't, he, okay. What the horse <laughs> is saying to you and the reason why they want to keep walking up on you is yeah. because they want to say, I'm the same as you, so I'm not following you. Because think about this herd mentality. So they want to actually get past you because they don't respect you. Mm. And so, you know, I always tell guys, uh, um, you know, you're not going to get the respect of the animals until you have the respect of yourself. Like Mm. You have to learn how to respect yourself. You have to learn how to be as firm as necessary. You have to become a leader of that animal. And when you become the leader and that head drops down, that horse recognizes you're the leader, he will kill himself for you. Mm. Like, You know, my, some of my horses, you see in these like pictures in here, like I'm telling you right now, the horses will hit a barbed wire fence. They know that, that I'm the leader. Yeah. And sometimes it's a fight to get to that point. Like it's a, it's a, it's a brutal and it's a very difficult fight because in the wild, what do you think they do to fight for dominance? They strike, they kick, they bite, they attack each other. They fight to the death. Right. Like, you know, Mustangs you in the wild will, will attack another horse and bite the back that's why it's really hard to touch the back of their legs when they're wild because the stud horses will fight and then they'll grab the tendon on the back of the leg and they'll bow it. And then once that horse is lame, predators. Wow. They, can't, they can't get away because their primary thing is to fight or flight. So if you put a horse in a situation where he can't move, his next mechanism is going to be to fight. So mm. you know, breaking a horse and training people is all the same to me. It, it's – you know, the, to let it be a horse's own free choice is basically all of horsemanship philosophy. And mm-hmm. to let it be people's own free choice is our philosophy at Heroes and Horses. It's not force fear and repetition and do what we want and do what we say and follow our philosophy and do the Heroes and Horses methodology because there is no methodology. There is no thought. Mm-hmm. What it is is it's all about you. And so I always tell guys, I can't fail at this because you can only fail you Mm. and I'm me and you're you and I'm controlling this medium and you have my word. If you finish this, if you finish this from start to finish, you will not recognize who you are. You like that person that you thought you were goes away. I've just seen it so many times where that shift, that transition and guys call me up mothers, wives, girlfriends, prostitutes, all kinds of people. <laughs> prostitutes. No, I mean, they, they call up here, hey, we get some rough ads. And they call up here and they're like, we just want to thank you. And I'll tell you what, you can ask anybody. I always say, it's not necessary. I said, I haven't done anything. Yeah. And they're like, no, we want to thank you. I'm like, I haven't done anything. I, I just put these guys in a place but they had to do it on themselves and whatever they become after this experience has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. It has to do with them because this is their life and this is my life. And, and when they have that kind of level of commitment to discovering who they are, that's a really powerful tool that we all have. When you realize the power as human beings that we have to transform our lives And you get a hold of that and you start to make those decisions without fear, without trepidation, with confidence, the more the world opens up to you, your life instantaneously changes Mm. and you transcend the bullshit, you know, losing a friend in Iraq, like all these experiences that are very difficult, you transcend that stuff. And, you know, guys like, you know, survivor's guilt and those kind of different things that I see with guys that come here, it's like, look at If you're here, there is a reason and you better spend your life finding that out because that is the only way that that you are going to feel complete and whole. Uh, And if not, you'll be lying in your deathbed, terrified out of your mind because you believe somebody else's idea about what life should be and you never discovered who you're supposed to be. Mm. You want to transcend all that? Look at history. Suffer your way to grace and happiness. It's the only way.
0: M mm, Wow. Where was that moment of recognition for you where you realized, was it on those first pack trips where you realized that these animals provided that kind of feedback loop? Or was it did it or did it take taking guys out? Like I'm guessing I guess I'm asking, where did the idea of heroes and horses come from and the fact of facing that adversity and how overcoming that was so powerful realizing who you were through the horse. Where did that come from?
2: Well, I mean, I had been like discovering all this, you know, working on this ranch, shoeing horses, riding colts, like, you know, and I was not these like crooked look at these guys were like crooks, liars, and charlatan cowboys <laughs> that like horse traders, brand forgers, like they were rough dudes. And <laughs> and they were uh I look back and I was like, because I used to, let me tell you something, all right? When mm-hmm. guys would come to heroes and horses, I used to Bring a horse in and flank it, and and I'd bring all the vets around, and then my buddy that was a bronc rider would get in there, and we'd pull the flank. The guys have no idea what a flank is or any of those kind of things. Basically, you know, we make them buck. The horse would explode. You saw that in one eighty out, right? That horse, yeah. like, okay, that was like day one. So these dudes are like terrified and the horse is smashing in and bucking. He drops the flank or whatever on the ground. And then he's like, oh, here, Tim, here's your horse. Right. (laughs) Like, you know, we thought it was funny, like, because that's like cowboy shit. And I would never do that today. Right. (laughs) But back then, I mean, I, that's what I was like, you know, and I knew like, I wanted to make it so hard on these guys because that's what was helping me like cuz i knew if you like made it through the blizzard and the snowstorms of the mountains and you know we were riding we still do to this day i'll yeah. tell you right now we ride terrain that will make your toenails curl like you fall off it's you know it's hundreds of feet down mm-hmm. you know you're 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 really trusting this animal like you're 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 like You want to see like tough guys, like, you know, whatever, like you're on the side of a a mountain like that and it's 40 or 50 mile an hour winds and it's hailing and there's lightning and, you know, you look down and it's 250 feet down and it just circ slide, you ain't thinking about like, you know, Afghanistan. Oh seven. Like you, you you are, you are like nice horsey. Like, like, and, and and so you're like, you're learning to discover and you're learning to trust. So for me, initially I was like, I got to make this like hard. And I go back and I have a pamphlet like in here that I keep as my first pamphlet. And it was like, we do extreme packing and like, everything was like extreme. Like you'll die. Like I was like, so on that. Um, Because I knew that if I put these guys through this experience, when you come out on the other side and you cheat death and you, and you, and you learn and you have this experience, you run the obstacle course race, you come out the other side, the taser doesn't kill you. You feel like, uh, uh, like I want to do that again. Like I, I, I did, I just did something. I overcame a huge obstacle. And so now today it's so much more refined, but that was my initial thought process was that struggle gives everything life value. I didn't at the time know how much struggle uh, because I didn't really have a, a struggle meter. Uh, I mean, I was like very uh, doing, taking a lot of risks uh, because I just was like, you know, I, I told guys like, we're going to die up here. I'm like, you're already dead basically anyway. Like that was my thought process. I'm like, dude, you're on 10 medications. You're like suicidal. Like what do you got to lose? Like let's ride. Like, And, <laughs> and so now it's so much more refined than that. We still have that, but we, I, I had to live that, you know, I had to live that and get that baseline and, and I was on the right path. I just didn't have the, you know, kind of like mixing gas and oil. I just, I didn't have the ratio quite right. Yeah, I was a little, uh, wild, you know? And, uh, I mean, hence I broke Mustangs in three months later, rode them 760 miles, which I wouldn't suggest, um. You know, and, and that, so that was, that was my, that was my whole concept initially. So it was a very simple thing. I knew there had to be a lot of struggle and there had to be a long time. Mm. I knew that coming out here for three days would not do shit. Yeah. You know, you come out and you do a 24 hour intensive horse petting course, then you're looking, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. That doesn't change. Working out for 20, if you're 300 pounds, you work out for 24 hours, you ain't going to do anything. Right. Like you may lose nine ounces. Yeah. Of butter. And, <laughs> and it, no, but really like it doesn't do yeah. anything like, and so it's pressure and time that changes people. So it's either an extreme amount of pressure in a short amount of time, you know, like an IED blast, you know, turns you from a solid to a gas at 30,000 feet per second or a drop of water on a stone over a thousand years. We are shaped through pressure and time. So it's a medium of pressure and time that, that begins to change this individual's focus you know, from, from the outside to the inside.
1: Mm.
0: And the consistency of that action is so important. You've seen it in your guys going through these programs, and that's why yeah. you've switched from that model, right, of doing two weeks up front and then giving a little break in the middle. What kind of changed your mind about that, where you decided to run the 41 days concurrent?
2: Uh, I was in the backcountry with a guy. Who came out for two weeks and detoxed off of uh, OxyCotton just before he came? He was a really, really tough place. He's an officer, uh, army officer, and he smart guy, uh, really smart guy, had a master's degree. Uh, for all intents and purposes, you would look at him and think like this guy's kind of got it together. Yeah, and he totally didn't and he came out here detoxed i remember the one day like we're we had a break we're on a nine day eight day trip there's a series of trips and i'll talk about that later but um we're in the back country and i was like riding around the horses like basically like my underwear on no shoes or anything like that just riding around bareback like riding them in the river we had an off day yeah so we're shoeing horses we're kind of, I, I just let the guys so once they get finished the first training when we're in the backcountry, they can do whatever they want. Like, I don't, I'm not out there like, okay, nobody like, of course I'm not going to do anything stupid, but if they want to saddle up and take their horse and just leave, I, I let them. Uh-huh. Like the, you're, you're grownups and and you have the skills and abilities. I've seen you, you've passed the tests. So guys will do that. So I'm out riding around bareback. I was like dragging logs and doing all these like things. And, uh, and he comes over and he's like, can I, uh, can I like do that? And I was like, yeah. He's like, can I, like, you know, take my clothes off? And I was like, sure. Like, whatever, dude. We're like out here, you know. I need it. I need mean, get totally naked. I would suck at your balls. <laughs> but, but, you know. I was just thinking, so, not very comfortable. You know, Because, like, listen, people used to ride in the in the war with no shirts on, no anything. You're totally connected to this animal. Right. And it's really awesome, yeah. especially when you can really haul ass on an animal and you're just, you don't have any shoes on, no shirt on. You're just holding on to the mane. Mm. And it's like, you know, it's, it's some pretty cool shit. So he's riding around. We're riding around. I take him. We like go across this river and he's like having a hard time staying on. And of course, your natural tendency is to squeeze him harder, which makes the horse go quicker. <laughs> yeah. And he falls off, like hits the mud or whatever. And I'm like, "You yeah, all right. He's like, yeah, he gets up, he comes over. And We kind of have this like kind of moment and we're sitting there and I'm like, I turn around, I'm laying on backwards on my horse and he starts like crying and he's like, I'm, like, killing myself, man. I'm killing myself. I have kids. He starts, like, really opening up to me. He's, like, you know, I'm, like, tells me this stuff. He's, like, you know, peeing in the bed, like, you know, disappearing for days on end. His car got shot up. Like, I mean, he's in a bad way. And once again, like, this is a highly educated guy, you know, and uh, and so I said, look, at you know, we're getting ready to finish here. You're going home for three weeks. You're coming back. And I said to him, I was, like, why don't you stay here and work with me on the ranch help me with the other class and stay here and he's like okay and i was like you're not done yet just stay here hang out next class comes we'll do that and then your class will come back so we have this amazing trip we get back and um he's like he gets back and he talks to his wife he's like it, i just want to go see my wife my kids and i just like and i was like look at man I said, it's up to you. It's your life, whatever you want to do. He's like, yeah, I know. I mean, it's like two weeks and I'm just dying to get back. But man, I just want to like, I just want to make amends with a lot of people or whatever. And he uh, got on that airplane, uh, gave him a hug goodbye. And that was the last time I ever saw him. Wow. Uh, he went home and four days later, he OD'd and, and, and died. And they didn't even find him for like three days. He was in the ghetto in Baltimore. Wow. And, and um, I still have the letter. Uh, that I wrote to the students of that class because think about how these dudes are like taking this, right? We're all like pretty tight. Um, you know, and it was really hard. It really, uh, I wrote this letter to these guys and everybody came back and you know this guy's dead. And, and so I realized that rest of that class was so hard for me because I felt really bad. like, and then I kept thinking, I remember like basically him on the fence, like, like having this conversation, how critical that was. If he could be here today, if he could have said, I'm going to stay, yeah. his two daughters would have a father, you know, like, and so I realized that two and a half weeks wasn't enough time mm. for a person to truly change. And so the next year I made it 41 days long. Wow. And uh and that was the catalyst, you know. So he didn't, in my opinion, he didn't die in vain. Because without that, I don't know if I would have necessarily changed that. Because that sounds crazy. People are like, forty one days. And I'm like, forty one days in the scope of your life? Like, give me a break. That's nothing. You watch like think about how like much of your life you spend picking your nose and taking a shit. So um you know that was really what 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 changed me. So it was it was a pr- it was a tough experience that that led me to the forty one day conclusion. Mm,
0: wow. What do you where do you see heroes and horses going from here? Are you pretty happy with the steps that you're taking currently? Are there certain things that you want to see implemented going into the future or? You know, I know that you talked about people wanting to scale up and you're like, I don't, you know, this is a quantity, this is a quality over quantity approach. And I've thought that often with my project, you know, people often ask like, how can you only do like 14 projects a year? It's like, hey, man, I would rather see the essence of this guy's life and kind of gather who that person is rather than a quick clip. And then that's all the context you gather of that person. Oh, that becomes that person because that's that quote. Whereas if you read the whole story on that person, you're gathering who they are. So, what is it about you? What is it about quality over quantity for you?
2: You know, I've uh, I've had like a lot of supporters, uh, you know, business people that support this organization. You know, come at me with that a lot. You yeah. Know, like, how do you scale this? You know, because that's the American way. Right. right. Scale it. Yeah, everything's scale. Grow it, make it huge, like take over, grind, fire it up, push to the limits.
0: I'm a terrible businessman, by the way.
2: (laughs) I mean, dude, like, come on, my office. It's like, yeah, me too. And, uh, no, but I, I, uh, I used to like try to explain that my vision for this organization, like, we're getting ready to, we've got two ranches, we're getting ready to purchase at the same time. One's going to be a home base here. Um, so this is kind of the mechanical side uh one is a 3500 acre ranch uh with basically nothing on it the guys will be living now in uh little log cabins with no electricity a wood stove and they'll keep them horses with them the whole program so like live with them so when the night's over they'll ride their horses you know two miles back to their cabin feed their own horses water their own horses get into bed get up at 4 30 their feed their horses pull their cinches and ride in for pt in the morning so but then we're going to have a headquarters here where we have our, you know, our cold plunges, our fitness centers. Um, um, so you know, guys get in ice tanks. They meditate twice a day. They got to read two books here. It's whole. You know, there's no dairy. There's no cheese. There's no bread. There's no sugar. There's no honey. Nothing. It's water, black coffee, meat and vegetables. That's it. Average guy loses eighteen pounds in this program. Uh, and and so you know, we're we're uh, we're going to begin raising money next week for these two spots that have been identified. And so we're, we're scaling in that sense, but in terms of like humans, um, you know, my vision is that, you know, we get this program up to a hundred guys a year and the ideas and the concepts and the data tracking that we have and the partnerships with VMI and the people we're working with on Capitol Hill, and we change policy for vets. And my vision has always been policy change because, if you're walking in the VA, you should be given the metaphor of the matrix. You should be given a red pill versus the blue pill. Hey, okay. Hi. I'm Betty at a, you know, 25-year-old grad student. Here's a caustic cocktail that's going to change your conscious reality, you know, make you sprout a pair of tits and, you know, ruin your life basically. <laughs> Let's just face it. Or you're going to go through the most difficult and arduous journey of your life but if you survive this at the end of it you'll discover who you are and i promise why you came in here will become your ally not your enemy mm. and let them choose their own path right at least give them an option and and so that's my like i want to change policy yeah. i'm sick and tired of seeing that because right now the world's going crazy all the shit's going on in the world where's the veteran leaders yeah yeah like where's the veteran leaders? You know what they're doing? They're like, you know, they're they're running around like, you know, driving, like shooting at the range, and like they're they're PTSD and they're bitching about the VA and they, they don't have jobs and they're like wondering why their check didn't come. Like that's a huge demographic of vets. Right. Not every guy's like that. Of course, there's some amazing people, amazing vets out there. Like, but there's not enough. Right. There's the, the, we're not we're not producing enough citizen leaders. But you can't lead anything until you can lead yourself. Yeah. So, you know, that's step one. You lead the horse. Horse teaches you to lead yourself. You lead yourself. And then you call the dude next to you and you teach him the same thing. And, and so my vision is to grow the idea and work on policy and keep the organization like uh, small so that we can fundamentally transform a life. You know, I always tell people like, you know, you go on their website, it's like, 1,600 veterans served. I'm like, served what? Pancakes? Like, what were they served? <laughs> Nothing. What were they served? Yeah. Okay, you served 1,600. We see the names. Whoa, this guy's helping 1,600 people, and you're, like, helping, like, 32 dudes. <laughs> but I would ask you a question. Would you rather have, like, you know, a hundred one armed boxers or Mike Tyson? Mm, i'll take mike because he's gonna win right so and then does one life matter let's think about that there's one jesus yeah there's one martin luther king there's one gandhi there's one milrepa there's one alexander there's one genghis khan so one purpose-filled life that is on fire with a conscious awareness of who they are changes the world Mm -hmm. if one is the most important number There's one sun, one moon, one earth, and if you were one chromosome different from what you are, you would not be you. Mm -hmm. One is highly significant. Mm -hmm. So think about that. One isn't just one, one becomes family, becomes kids. And so I would rather turn out one guy, one life that is fundamentally transformed than a thousand guys that come out and, you know, pet the hair off some you know, half dead horse. Like, I'm not interested in that. Like, because I, I love vets because there's something inside them that said, I know I could lose my life. I know I could die or get blown up or I may have problems after this but I'm gonna serve what I believe in mm-hmm. and they walk down there and they give up their college years and they give up all this stuff they give up all the you know the great times that you know everyone's floating around or getting these amazing jobs or and they go down there and they put a uniform on and they march into the face of potentially the last moments of their life and they do it day in and day out and day in and day out for next to nothing you know it's like like it, everybody loves sports, but you're not a fucking hero. You're not a hero. Like, you're getting paid $30 million a year. Like, you know what a hero is? A hero is an 18 year old kid from Texas that, like, decides not to go to school and picks up a rifle and keeps people from coming to this country and destroying it. So, I mean, that's a special human, and they deserve the last thing they need is a handout. What they need is a hand up. Yeah not a handout and that's that's so that's my scalability mission if that's really clear like that we can do more i can't do it like we all have to do it and my thing is like let's get let's get let's get all you know veteran leaders together and let's just take control of this thing ourselves and then let's just say you know what Hey, like, you know, pill popping, like jacket wearing, like paycheck collecting, like fruitcakes that work in government agencies that are causing hundreds of thousands of deaths amongst our peer group. We don't need you because mm. one, you've never been there. You've never done anything. You're like telling us what to do. It's the craziest system. We so
0: certainly like, didn't need them back in World War Two.
2: No, exactly. Like yeah. we, we've helped people to death. So like, you know, my thing is like, let's scale the idea, let's scale the concept, like not heroes and horses. Like I don't want like 50 heroes and horses. That sounds like a nightmare. I'll need, I will need to go pet the horse for eight minutes or whatever. I, I like the zombified I, version of Micah Finkel. That's a, ho- that's a Fink horrible thing to me. But if we just say like, Hey, here's the idea. Like here's what's changing people's lives. Here's the, quantifiable and quantitative data that this works this is what human beings have always done we can hit the brakes like i said to people the other day and i don't care who you are and i don't care about like your dinosaurs that you're in love with but if you're doing 22 push-ups a day for vets you're an asshole mm. like you're an asshole yeah. like you're just flattering your own ego yeah. like and probably like 22 push-ups like like my six-year-old son can do 101 mm-hmm. so like you know, okay, if you're doing 900 push-ups a day for vets, or no, 1,500 <laughs> push-ups a day for vets, you get, like, a light pass from me. <laughs> but otherwise, like, we need policy change. We need, like, yeah. get the message out. And vets, you got to, like get jobs. You got to get off your ass. You got to put down the fucking energy drinks. You got to stop playing video games. You got to stop like taking the free hand out. You're 25 years old and you need to start discovering who you are. And then once you get that figured out, we need to begin leading this nation. Mm. And, and that's our responsibility, veteran leaders. And everybody has the ability to do that. That's put their feet in a pair of boots.
0: And you probably got some of those guys coming through your camp now and you didn't even know about it
2: yet. Man, I ha- I had a guy the other day. He actually uh yeah, I mean I've got some amazing I don't want to call anybody out personally cuz we keep it very private the people right. the people that come here, but understandable. Um it's uh I, there's I'm really proud of some guys out there. Like I'm very proud of them. Like they figured it out. Yeah. They figured it out that that there's like nothing to figure out. Like they already had what they were looking for. That's what I love. Yeah. Because It's such a diversity. That's diversity. Diversity is like each one of us discovering our authentic purpose, living that, and creating an incredible world around us. But what creates the chaos is the same people living a bunch of random ideas and philosophies from random people while taking substances that alter their conscious reality all at the same time. No wonder there's problems and death and suicide and joblessness and homelessness and drug addiction and all these things because... The real you is 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 sound asleep deep down inside, like mm. knocking on the window, knocking on the window. And you know, my job here is to basically go down there with a sledgehammer and smash the window. When you, <laughs> when you crawl out, that has nothing to do with me. <laughs> I mean, I like that. in yeah. a nutshell.
0: I You know, we do live in this blended culture where, you know, or blender culture where we kind of, you know, throw all the ideas into one pot, we turn the Vitamix on, two horsepower, you know, kicks it around for a while and then it comes out as that person and that idea, right? And it's a bunch of thousands of ideas coming from one person and they really don't even know what they believe and they're throwing those ideologies everywhere. And you can, and like you said, can you imagine the chaos that that creates, Instead of bringing a guy into a camp, helping him understand who he is through this medium and seeing, you know, hey, you need to look in a mirror. You need to start discovering who you are. And, you know, you're not an amalgamation of all these ideas. You're becoming these things that you're taking on, you know, (laughs) through all these self-help books and, you know, programs. But you really just need to discover who you are.
2: And that's that's the... That's the answer. Self discovery is really hard. Yeah, like it, super. It, it, it's super hard. Like, Very painful. Yeah. And look at you you make a lot of mistakes along the way. Like and but if you commit yourself to that, you know, you could we are we have such power at our disposal. You know, if I wanted to, I could do anything. Like if I wanted to right now, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna climb Mount Everest. I'll, I'll just like do. walk over to the staff, tell them like peace out, max out all my credit cards, sell like my cool truck, and then which is a 75 Ford high boy which is totally dope and <laughs> i would i would sell that and i would just show up in the himalayas i would like hire somebody and i would just i would just do it like yeah. I, could, I could do anything but guess what we do nothing mm. like like you're that capable of you know one of the our application for heroes and horses is super intense and that weeds out like a lot of people just when they're filling it out because they're like am I ready to do this? Like, am I ready to like learn about myself? That's the real question. Right. Um, but there's a question in there. If money was no object in your life, what would you be doing? Mm. So like absolutely no object in your life. What would you be doing? Pretty much like 90% of the people like put stuff on there that they could be doing with no money. Yeah. It's like, I want to work on a ranch. Like cool, a job tomorrow. <laughs> like no problem. <laughs> Start moving the wheel line. Like, <laughs> like, You know they don't realize the power because they've been kept asleep yeah and these these constructs of control have have blinded them from what their capabilities are but once you realize that Mm. really you become supernatural you become a supernatural human being and and when you when you become that way Mm You, I look at my life. I always tell people, "I'm like, look at you know. I of course I get anxieties. I worry, Like, did I say the wrong thing? Did I make Bob mad or whatever? Right. And and then I'm always like, I take a step back and I'm like, I'm dead and my life is half over. Like, I'm gonna be 41. So, what yeah. do I care? Like, I mean, statistically, I'm dead in like 31 two years, 31 years. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I die at 72, and I'm if I'm lucky. And if I lay off like the hose and shit, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, but like at the end of the day, like what are we, the mission that we're on is the mission within. Yeah. Like, that's the mission that we are on. And, I'm not going to really get wrapped up in things that don't matter anymore. And, and when I find myself going down that road, I always take a step back and I got to do a hard reset because it's enticing. It's easy to bury your face and social and groups and the, and, you know, it's very enticing and, and and to let yourself go and to not to lose focus and start to blame your sitting, you know, your experiences and situations on other stuff. But, but like, if you start looking at your life as like truly borrowed time, mm. and be like, man, the way that I win this game here is not collecting the most little gold coins and like <laughs> stuffing them underneath my mattress. <laughs> like the way that I win is by really understanding who I am yeah. and then returning back to where I came from.
0: Mm. I still remember I was I think it was about the same time that I watched the 180 out videos right when I was about starting this project. And I was about halfway through my master's program in emerging media and communication. I was just picturing myself chained to some desk, pushing someone else's legacy through social media. And I was sitting there. I was like, that sucks. Like, all these things I've gotten to do in my life leading up to this. And now, you know, being in the Army, playing college baseball, doing these different things. And then i satisfied with this. I'm going to go work for someone else's legacy. And that's fine if that's what you want to do. But I remember picking up a camera and going through a really painful time, and I still, I, I'll still never forget. I was on a trip out to LA, and two of my tires like just popped, you know. And I'm on the side of the road, and I've got like three hundred dollars in my bank account, and I'm headed out to do a project, and I'm waiting on AAA to like come get my car, and I don't even know if I'm gonna have enough to pay, you know, for whatever get these tires. <laughs> I'm sitting there on the side of the road eating like a PB and J, just going, <laughs> <That's> Gosh. <right. laughs> Yeah. And just going like, I'm, I'm about to do this project down in LA though. And I'm just going, this is awesome. And like thinking, what is wrong with me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, why am I okay with this? Like, yeah. I don't know if I'm gonna have enough to pay my bills at the end of the month. Yeah. But feeling so satisfied. And the reason that I bring up your video is the fact of the purity of, you know, searching for adversity and finding that and... That was very. That ran very parallel to what I was choosing, you know, in the moment of telling stories and capturing legacies, and you know, getting to put this on online in a blog format where I could show people what we were accomplishing. And I hope there are more that reach for that, you know. Like seeing you guys, you and Chris, doing what you're doing is incredible, and it's impacting, um, you know, a, a lot of people in very powerful ways. Um, you know, but, but I think about that all the time and what I do is the adversity of, like, that moment. Oh, yeah, I don't know what's going to come at the end of the month. But, man, you know, I feel real purpose in what I'm doing. And I, I hope that everyone can find that. I really do.
2: They I can. I think, that, I think that every single person can do exactly what you just described. Um, the question is, like,
0: but making that choice is so uncomfortable, right?
2: Listen, everything's like, if you, if you make the decision you're going to run a 5K, like get ready to get uncomfortable, right? Like <laughs> everything's uncomfortable. So just accept that Yeah. and then realize that um, that there is a reward in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's the greater message um, yeah. is that, you know, get ready to, you want to do something. What we want to do is we all want to be at the top. Yeah, right? We see the guy and we're like, why can't I be like him? But, you know, there was a guy that used to work for me. Fired him. And, <laughs> he's a douche. But, like, fired him. I, uh, um, he said to me, uh, yeah, I fired a bunch of people here. And um, he, there was a guy that we were, like, we were getting some hay from him. And he said to me, he's like, he's like, yeah, he's just, like, fucking rich fat cats, he said to me. And I, he just, like, made this comment. And now I know this guy. Mm-hmm. And I stopped and I said, come here. I said, what do you know about him? He's like, dude, it's just like another like rich out of towner, he said to me. And I, first of all, he's donating. I was like, hey, you know, I'm like, it's well, kind of like an asshole thing to say or whatever. But people get animosity, you know, right. have big ranches and money and trucks. And like, look at it. At the end of the day, like, you know, we just, you know, we're, sometimes you're like in survival mode and nonprofit, you know. And, and so, like, I understood it. it was like frustration or whatever. And I said, let me tell you something about that guy. He had 13 brothers and sisters. He grew up in abject poverty in the South. He had nothing, all right? They used to have to share like a chicken together. I mean, he grew up poor. So he got out of high school. The next day, him and his brother put their money together and bought a series of wheelbarrows and started doing door-to-door concrete with the bags. So he would carry the bags, and then he'd have another wheelbarrow, and they'd show up at people's house like, can I fix your steps? Mm Mm-hmm. He sold that company as the second largest concrete company in North America. Never went to college, nothing. Okay. Made a lot of money, obviously. He put in shopping malls, Mall of America, like all this stuff. Okay. And I kind of shared that story, you know, in more in depth about this guy. And I was like, where was your wheelbarrow? Mm. Like, where were you? Like, you know, a guy didn't have any money for shoes, like poor, like, like Southern, poor. He has a wheelbarrow and a because sh- he was willing to start with a wheelbarrow, mm. and if all of us are willing to start with a wheelbarrow, then you're going to get there. Yeah, but if you think that you're going to start with a cement truck, you're just going to be miserable your whole life because it's never going to quite be. It's like it's like people that chase fame, like they're the worst. Like especially like that's kind of rampant in like the SEAL teams. Like you know guys like pretty much want to be the next like you know kung fu instructor for you know I don't know. For- movie or something you know like tactical shooting like this and, we've
0: all heard about y'all's movie deals oh uh, man so
2: like but the thing is like when you when that's when you're like the sole thing you want yeah you never get it and then the mm-hmm. person that doesn't really want anything they always wind up with it right right so it's like it's like this pursuit of commerce thinking that it's going to give you this life that's going to change everything when change is already at your fingertips you you already have that ability you could stand up right now change your whole life and so i mean i think that like my message to like vets is that don't wait like don't wait another minute like don't wait another 30 seconds like whatever it is, like whatever is like holding you back, you know, like dump them down the drain, take your video game, go outside and take a dump on it and smash it with a hammer. Oh, smash it with the hammer, then dig it up on it. Cause then your hammer would have shit on it. But, but like, I mean, that's just a little logistics. guys. And, but I mean, at the end of the day, like get radical if you want radical change and then let's get our asses like in gear and let's start figuring out what our new role as leaders of this nation is going to look like.
0: Yeah. I love that. Um, I would end on that, but I I was very interested in you know, you were talking about your wife earlier and family and how important that was to you. How important was having a network to you in figuring out what you were figuring out when you got back and got out of the military? How important was your wife
2: and all of that? Nothing. Nothing? No, I, yeah. I, I was like I was uh, look at that was my journey. Yeah. Like there was some uh, you know, parts and pieces like I needed to pick up because I pretty much was really hard to probably live with. Like looking back, I mean, now we we talk about it, you know, everything And it, 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 we had a, a hard relationship Yeah. because I, especially when you're on that, like deployment cycles and you're home for like, you know, a couple months and then you're back out again, especially contracting is like the worst where you're just, you just, when it starts to get like, I've been home a little too long. I'm like, I'm gone. Yeah. And, and so I never learned how to live with that person. I never learned how to really communicate with that person. I used to laugh. I'm like the, you know what we should do? you should go in that room. I'll go in this room. I'll get on Skype. You can on Skype and let's like figure this out because we seem to do way better on Skype because when we're face to face, it's like, and, and, uh, you know, I, I, I had to find, you know, I always tell people like when I go on a journey or I go on a pack trip or I'm taking on a challenge or whatever it is doing the Ironman or I don't take anybody with me.
1: Yeah.
2: I don't like, doing this for my kids, like doing this for my son, like doing this for my wife, like this is my journey. Yeah. You have two things in a relationship. You have a collective relationship and then you have your individualism. And I think if you start mixing those two up, I think it ruins you. I think what happens is you become resentful because you're like, feel like people are holding you back and you feel like you're not being yourself or you feel like you're trying to change yourself or somebody else. So we have developed in 13 years, like a mutual respect. Now that's like, you have your path. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to support whatever that is. And I have mine. And then we live a collective life together. And, and so there wasn't like, I didn't really turn to anybody. Yeah. There was a, a a man who became that man that wrote me that check. Uh, basically, you know, there would be no heroes and horses probably if I hadn't met him. He, he took me under his wing like a son and he's a very deep human being a uh, special special guy and he saw me like you know he's like he he laughs now to this day he's like man I remember when I met you know I was like this dude is about one flick of the bick from freaking and going pop like <laughs> like you know and I didn't recognize that yeah um, of course not and so how do you think like the people around me lived they lived mm. in fear yeah they lived in fear and I, I'm thinking like I'm the greatest thing since you know sliced bread and and, uh, and so what I can say is that, like, I think that we, we want to have people come along on this journey with us, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's a reality. I think you have to do it yourself. You know, I think you have to, you have to climb that mountain yourself. And I think that, you know, people say, you know, yes, you need people that support you and all those kind of things. But like, if you don't do it on your own and other people end up doing it for you, like, we have people call here all the time, wives or girlfriends, that are like, I'm applying for my husband. And I'm like, y- you can't do that. And like, <laughs> I, it happens all the time. And I'm like, you can't do that. And I'm like, why? I'm like, because it, it has to be his own idea. Like, he has to want this. And it's not about you. Right. You know, it's not, the guys calling. can I bring my service dog? I'm like, no. Well, can I bring my wife? I'm like, no. Like, can I, you have to learn to stand alone you know and if there's if you learn to stand alone and learn about who you are you're gonna be so much better for those people in your life when you come back to them but i would have i was just i was an asshole like i uh because i just i i just didn't i couldn't put it all together you know so i didn't need anybody like giving me suggestions or like encourage me like you can do it like i had to figure it out on my own and then Once you've once I fixed me, then I came back and was like, I'm really sorry. That's not who I am. And I want to like, I want to rebuild this thing. Mm. And and so when that happens, you can't, I I equate it to this, the war policy in Iraq didn't work because we did what we try to do in our lives as veterans, which is rebuild and fight the war at the same time. So like, you know. Guys are, like, knocking down buildings and blowing up, you know, places in Fallujah. And then over in Mosul, they're, like, building a school. And then, like, and then they blow the school up and then they just, like, rebuild the school because the enemy hadn't been defeated. Hmm. So we put all these projects all over the place and they just got blown up and attacked. And meanwhile, guys are still fighting and they're still trying to build and win hearts and minds. It's like, what should have happened was you win that war. Like, you win that battle. Then you rebuild but you can't rebuild and fight at the same time. You know, it just, it doesn't work. And so I came to that realization in my own life, like, okay, I need to fix me. I need to work on me. I need to figure this out and, and go on this journey. And then, you know, if you don't like leave me and take 50% of everything that I own and, you know, like, I don't know, like (laughs) post unflattering pictures of me with my gut hanging out my underwear on Instagram, (laughs) then, um, uh, then we're going to do this life together. And so, I would, that's my suggestion. I like if guys leave heroes and horses and go home and leave their wife, that's not a failure to me. Like maybe, you know, we did have a guy that married a prostitute and that's why I made that joke. But, um, (laughs) you know, he did, he was in a terrible way and met her like a hitchhiker and, um, you know, so maybe that wasn't like the best decision. So it's like, should we be saving that? I I don't, I don't know. Like you're a different person now. So now you're, now you're version 2.0. Narrow version 3.0, Narrow Version 4.0. And and so that was kind of the trajectory of my relationship. I wasn't the kind of guy that was like home, like, you know, boohooing or like asking for help or whatever. I was out like for all intents and purposes, what my wife, should have been with her for 13 years. What she should have done was bought a rocket ship and got away from me as fast as you could really <laughs> possibly could have. <laughs> but but like, <laughs> hats off to her for sticking it out and in turn like finding her own way. Yeah. And and uh so that's uh you know that's kind of that's my take on that is take your individual journey and then and win that war between your ears and in your soul and then come back and say this is who I am now and I want to rebuild. Yeah. Or I want to walk away.
0: Yeah. What do you think, you know, we talk about this often in the pursuit of legacy and you know what our legacy is and what we leave behind. What do you think do you care what people think of you when you leave this planet? What What do you want people to think of Micah Fink when they when they think about you in the future and when you've gone?
2: You know, that's an interesting question. I never really like think about that. Yeah. Um, I try to like kind of stay in the present. But if I had to like if I had to put, if I had to put um, a phrase to it. I would say that. I want to be remembered for, you know, uh, taking the hardships and lessons I learned in my life and doing everything I can, uh, to help people live a better version of theirs. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if I, you know, if I die, I just want to be known that I, I live my life in the pursuit of helping other people live theirs. Mm -hmm. And that's good enough for me. Awesome. And I like, I want to be thrown in the ocean i don't put me in a hole and if you wear a suit there i'll come back and i'll haunt you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like because once i'm gone i'm like you I know, mean, i'm i'm up there man yeah I'm kicking it I'm, you know angels like i'm doing the whole thing yeah so <laughs> yeah like, i'm gonna be ripping up there i'm stoked like so i'm not this I is feel the end. same way this yeah. isn't the end like in my this yeah. isn't the end uh, this I, isn't the end
0: i don't think so either no. i think it's a very 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 small portion
2: yeah. of that rope Rope. Yeah. Well, I tell people that atheists, you know, they got that atheist dial of prayer and, you know, you call up nobody answers. So, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> that's not me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Discussing death. Wonderful way to end the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's more
2: about like people should be really like more concerned about about living because life is a very, very special opportunity yeah and it's only gonna come one time and if you don't if you don't take advantage of the tools that you've been given you you have a scary road ahead of you and 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 once you figure it out this is a beautiful ride like no, nomad don't mean like life is easy or things aren't going to happen or whatever but this is a special special opportunity to discover something that will Transcend the space and time that we know here on this planet.
0: Absolutely, Micah. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. <laughs> Throw up the peace sign. <laughs> we appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you coming on, and uh, appreciate you discussing discussing your passion uh, for such an incredible program and and really life changing um, model. You know, this is like you said. It's the medium. It's really not about the medium. It's about what is being accomplished through that medium so i appreciate you coming on uh to all my listeners out there don't forget to rate review subscribe to the podcast and don't forget our legacies are the mission
1: this has been the veterans project podcast with our founder tim k check us out at www.thevetsproject.com on instagram at the veterans project facebook the veterans project and twitter at project underscore veteran. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, our legacies are the mission.